Thanks for listening to Colt Wrangler Radio, brought to you by the Hill Country Playboys, Good Mule Records, and Nelson's Hat Shop. That's the weird lifestyle between, like, those sort of God-fearing, like, fuck you cowboy types, and then people like yourself that are, like, more... Yeah. More, uh, what would you call it? More sort of self-actuated, more like well-read, more sort of open to every Open-minded. lifestyle. Open-minded, yeah. And that's yeah. sort of the, the person I've always gravitated towards because and, it's not yeah. like, you're not coming from a place of ignorance. You're coming from a place of like, you looked at every lifestyle and this is the one you yeah. chose. <clears throat> yeah, and that's, you know, and, and like, you know, we were born horseback, you know. I mean, mom was a horse trainer and when we were babies, you know, she was putting us on horses more more for her the mom was a multitasker and it wasn't it wasn't trying to teach us how to ride horses it was she was putting us on colts first because if the colts would buck she'd just yank us off yeah and if not she'd just kind of keep leading them around you know and so everybody it's more a byproduct of what she wanted to do yeah it than was, her trying to she was actively tasker and but at the same it. time uh you know it it's not like we were so <laughs> grounded in that western culture you know or cowboy culture you know it was a little bit of everything you know and and that was that was always kind of interesting because if we were if mom was at a horse show somewhere we were the punk kids running around with skateboards trying to find somewhere to ride our skateboards yeah and you know and and but then again we'd be over there with a roping dummy you know roping on the rope yeah dummy. yeah but, so it wasn't like you know it wasn't that lifestyle wasn't crammed down our throats you know and dad was a rodeo cowboy until they got married and then he quit you know he quit rodeoing because he had a you know he was going to have a family to take care of and so you know but it's all i've ever done but i've always had that but you that curiosity for everything outside but it was a byproduct of the way you grew up and then you you sort of found your way back to it like most people do the way yeah and i and that's and that and it's it's like i've talked about before you know that I was always kind of not ashamed, but embarrassed that I liked books or that I liked reading and writing mm. because it didn't fit. Like it also didn't fit the lifestyle of, of any of that, you know, and it was, you know, when I was younger, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about like, Oh, I want to write, you know, I want, I want to read, you know? And, and, and then as I got older, and being around just different people all over the country, you know, I would, I would always take notes about things that I was hearing or listening or listening to or experiencing. And, and then, you know, I just kept collecting that. And the funny thing is, is it was always, you know, I was the guy that was up at four o'clock in the morning reading before the day started. And I, I would get up that early because I wanted to read, but also no one else was awake at that time. And, and I can remember vividly, I was reading a lot of Larry McMurtry back then. Um, I, I, I got like really addicted to Larry McMurtry books and not like his cowboy books. You know, I was reading more of his, you know, like the last picture show. Um, and then all my friends are going to be strangers and some can whistle. I was reading a lot of those books of Larry McMurtry's and, but it's like, I, it was like my dirty little secret of, Oh, I don't want anybody to know I'm reading. Yeah. 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 And, and so, 
you don't want anybody knowing you're an intellectual yeah, in intellectual, the cowboy and community. <laughs> and that's kind of the funny thing because it, you know you bring up the word intellectual and and a lot of times and and I've read it recently um, uh, when I was reading um, a really big lunch by Jim Harrison. He makes the point in there about people always mocking intellectualism or intellectuals like, oh, you know, intellectuals look down their nose at everybody. You know, they think they're high and mighty. And where it's it's almost the other way around is is a, those types of intellectuals. They're only intellectuals so they can talk about being intellectuals where it just. Yeah, it's like. They've almost attached the term intellectual to like academia and people associate intellectual with academia. But the only voices and the only intellectual voices I care to hear about are the ones that come from a blue collar sort of existence. And that's where any intellectual comes from because that's where humanity came from. So they've just gotten too far removed from where all this folklore and all of this thinking about things and philosophical sort of approaches to things come from. Yeah. And that's. And, and that, you know, it's kind of like wine snobs, you know, everybody's like, oh, they drink wine so they can all sit around and tell each other how good or how bad the wine is. But they don't include anything else in that world where, you know, if you look at like my book collection, you know, I've got Will James to to Steinbeck, you know, or, you know, in between, you know, they're just they're not all cowboy authors. It's not all cowboy books because you but the thing that I've that I've discovered that that I've tried to bring more awareness to is that a lot of books you read, you can apply the cowboy lifestyle to what's in that book. You just, you can change some of the words or just apply your lifestyle to that. And so I would take notes on that. And, and so when I write certain things, you know, I will make reference to once again, you know, you can apply, our horse lifestyle or cowboy lifestyle to what's in this book. And it makes some, some people in the cowboy world uneasy, you know, because it's not that strict cowboy code, yeah. you know? And, and, and so I, I've tried to, to bring a little bit of that to, to everything that, that we do. And, and it's kind of, you'll see some people are really receptive to it. And then others, they, they just, it makes them so uncomfortable, you know, like, like if you, you know, the other day, you know, I was referencing Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. and it's, it was amazing how it, it turned off some people, you know, that, that are in the ranching world. And then others, they were like, wow, that's really fascinating, you know? And, and so it, 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 it's really it's kind of neat to see the different reactions, you know? Agree. And that's when I talked to Jake about you. And he's like, you got to get him on this thing on the podcast just because he's like, he's one of those guys. He's got the best book collection I've ever seen. He's the most well-read person I've ever met. <laughs> but yet he's this guy that kind of lives out. Cowboy Lifestyle does his own thing. I guess we should say that this is Jerry Gazelle on the podcast. That's how you pronounce it, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just for everybody's reference, too. He's got a Instagram that's pretty interesting, and I think that's how I became aware of you. I, I, I knew... I didn't know who you were, but I just knew the image of you because there was there's so many like good shots of you floating around on the internet. It's like, oh, that guy, he's got the look, he's cool, yeah. and and I don't know, I never I never thought I would end up like meeting you or anything like that. And then he and, made the big trip to Austin for yeah, us. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I Thanks thought, for coming, by the way, all yeah. the way down. I know that's a cool deal. Yeah. yeah. No, it just what it, it really is interesting. Just to I, I mean, I've seen you all over Instagram, all over the place. Like you just got. 
you're just so photogenic in that way. You just kind of capture what yeah, the essence think. of the West Texas yeah. cowboy type. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 do the West Texas cowboy look like? It's like, well, that's you. Yeah. Well, well, we talked a bit before this and hopped around some, but I want to start with most people. I like to just big the beginning. Like, where does all this come from? What what's your upbringing look like? Where were you geographically? Like, well, so we were born and raised just outside San Antonio and and like I don't and, and there's probably a lot of people that know me but don't know that we were, we're actually triplets and so I've got a twin brother and a twin sister and oh wow yeah and you know so we mom and dad had an instant family yeah you know yeah. It, and wanted no more after that just but a three-piece built yeah, in and and but mom was a horse trainer um and so we always had horses there was and it was one of those things growing up that mom didn't own any horses they were always outside horses and mm. so it was mom was really careful not to ever let us ride those horses because she was getting paid to train those horses and we didn't you know honestly we didn't we just didn't have a lot of interest you know in, in growing up you know with horses because they were always work you know mom you know i've i've talked a lot about mom was a great multitasker and so she found ways to punish us by if we did something wrong you know it was you have to wash water buckets or you have mm -hmm. to clean stalls or you're picking up rocks out in the pasture that's how it was for me too you know, it, was the same it, thing. it was great you know it was great for her and and she was a slave driver in that sense you know and you know it was like and then in the winter time it was like okay you know you did this wrong today you have to go blanket the horses you know and and i had written a story about how i was terrified of the dark and I can remember having to go blanket the horses that night and how scared I was to go up to the barn because it was dark. And I was like Man, trying to get the, the dog. Yeah. I was like, you go first. The dog wouldn't go. And then I remember I was thinking like, man, what's worse than the boogeyman is not getting these horses blanketed and having to face mom going. Mm -hmm. And so I had to fight through that being scared of the dark and got the horses blanketed. And then after that, I was like, Oh, the, the dark's no big deal anymore. Yeah. But, but hey, that's, you get over. Yeah. I used to have to like run to the. I used to run to the barn and run away from yeah. the barn at night. Oh, I was, was like, I just want to get this over with. I know, it, and it was. It's funny looking back. You know, it's like God, that was so stupid. So right? stupid, yeah. And Still you as know, a kid, I mean, that's a big. That's a big world, and for you to be able to capture that and like write about it yeah. and put yourself back in that place. I mean, that's that's yeah. something there. I was actually going to ask you if you've written. Yeah, and, and I, I'll have to. I have to look back and and look at that post that that I had written. But there's a lot of those those memories of growing up that way and so mom never forced horses on us and it was never like you're going to be a horse trainer you're going to do this you're going to do that and and so it was always just you know like yeah yeah horses and then in high school you know mom started taking an interest in me helping her with with she had she was still breaking two-year-olds then and then still training some show horses and so I started going to school half a day and I had to have a, like a real job. And so I had a job working at a grocery store, not far from the house in the days that I didn't work at the grocery store, I was helping mom with horses. And then she, she took more of an interest in me and the horses. And so then I was taking more of an interest in doing, wanting to do nothing but horses. And so I started working less at the grocery store and working more with mom and then you know and she pretty much after high school she was like you're gonna make a living in the horse in the horse business 
that was so then it was you know she was deciding for me mm. what i needed to do with my life and but it was did she see like a natural inclination towards it and yeah and that's and that's pretty much what it what she had said and and dad was dad kind of encouraged it too dad wasn't a horseman he dad was one of those guys that hated horses he was like the essence of like the old rough stock guys you know the bull riders and the bareback riders is they hated the horsemanship aspect yeah they they you know and dad would say that you know he, a, he was like you know he was like i rode bucking horses you know and and i rode bulls i didn't want to ride broke horses i didn't want to train he had no interest in training horses. Yeah, they were the enemy they were the yeah. thing you were trying to you know and and when i rode when i when i was trying to ride saddle bronc horses you know dad was always like you're this isn't for you you're not a natural bucking horse you, you're not made to ride saddle bronc horses you're made to ride broke horses you know this is not what you do and where my brother was my brother was a great bull rider and bareback rider and he was he was good at, at saddle bronc horses too and my dad drew that comparison he's like your brother was made to ride rough stock you were not and he was like and if you get hurt on a bucking horse you're not going to be able to work riding broke horses and so he he did his best to talk me out of riding and i still back then it was you know you think you could do it all you know and so i still wanted to ride saddle bronco i kind of craved a little bit of that 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 rodeo life you know i wanted to ride those bucking horses and but i knew that my heart wasn't in it you know but it was just part of that lifestyle like you know i wanted, you wanted to, a taste of it yeah no it was and i knew i wouldn't and i wasn't any good you know i wasn't i wasn't a good saddle bronc rider but but i it was where we grew up it just happened to be two miles down the road from one of the best polo players in the world who raised some of the best polo horses in the world and mom had become really good friends with his dad and it was billy and tommy wayman and billy was he was an old cowboy that that had worked for wagner's and he ended up work you know when back in the day wagner's had polo horses and and he said you know a cowboy made 40 dollars a month but a cowboy that went and started working the polo side of the ranch got a hundred dollars a month so he's like i took the hundred dollars a month and so he had started a career in polo horses and they just happened to be in adkins texas you know and and so when mom and billy got to be really good friends and they started partnering on polo prospects um right out of high school i had the chance to go to work for tommy wayman and that was the best thing that ever happened because he was such a good horseman raised great horses in the polo world just everybody is a horseman in the polo world it could you could be just the groom and you're a better horseman than a lot of people in the western world and, mm -hmm. and i'll probably get cussed out for that but i'll stand by that to this day and and when i when I quit working for Tommy Wayman, his dad, Billy, hired me to work for him. And it was best decision I had ever made in life. And so I, I knew right then and there that I was going to spend my life training horses. And it was going to be in the polo world, you know. but With a Western, like, leaning. Well, because the, there used to be, it used to all kind of coexist yeah, anyway. That's how I understood yeah. it, too. You know, and, but a lot of what worked out for me was the people I went to work for owned ranches. You know, they, they had ranches and they had polo horses. And so it worked out 
that I could still keep the cowboy aspect of it, but also have the polo side of it and train horses. I mean, it was, it was just, it all worked out perfectly for that. And, and I had developed enough of a reputation that I always had a job somewhere and it came from earning the respect of people in the business. And, and it's not, and I wasn't, I was, I had to fight tooth and nail because I wasn't born in that, in that world. I wasn't born in the polo world and not really born in a, in a lot of the horse world, you know? So I had to fight really hard and I had to work really hard to, to be able to have that respect and reputation and to maintain jobs in the, in the horse business, you know, cause it's, I was committed at that point. It wasn't going to be anything else but horses. And so I had to be really good at what I did, you know, and, and it made me, even though when I was younger, we'd go out, get drunk every night, you know, party, come home at two o'clock in the morning and I'd still be up at five. I'd be at the barn at five every morning because, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't going to be that, that guy that screwed up and didn't show up to the barn that day. And so, you know, I was burning the candle at both ends and because you were trying to live the cowboy lifestyle at night and the equestrian lifestyle in the yeah, morning, pretty much, yeah. you know, and then somewhere in between sneaking a book or two, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and so it was, it was a balancing act with a lot of that. And, and I know at one point I did get burned out in the late nineties and I took a, like a nine to five job in San Antonio working for a vet supply company and I hated it, you know, and I'd still go home in the evenings and ride with mom and then it at some point um a good friend of mine in kentucky was like hey i need some help and i mean i didn't hesitate i just went right back into the polo world again so it was from vet supply out to kentucky what would you did your mom kind of have something to do with that because you're riding every day yeah, she's like so, what are you doing so mom had a lot of she she had made a lot of friends over the years in the polo world and what what it was when i came back to texas because uh, i'd been living in in wyoming um, that's where you did the vet supply? No, I was in San Antonio. Oh, San, sorry. But what I did, um, when I, I left Wyoming and came back to Texas to go work for a ranch in far West Texas, I was South American, um, on a ranch out there. And where were you at in Wyoming? Uh, Sheridan, Bighorn. Yeah. yeah I was, you were at the I, polo deal there yeah, too? I was, yeah. yeah, I was working for, for a big place there in Bighorn. Gotcha. And it was, it was when I was hired, it was taking care of the entire horse operation. And then it kind of transitioned a little bit in, into just uh, kind of starting young horses and playing young horses and and managing the yearling colts and stuff like that. It, it was that, a little bit of everything. This is a but, small tangent, but what are the hot – I know Sheridan's a hot spot for polo and, like, down in Florida. What is that? Down in – well, uh, like in Wellington there, and – what was it? What's the one play? I'm trying to think. Um, Two names. So down in Florida, like the 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 mecca of polo would be, you know, I mean they they still kind of refer to it as Palm Beach, but it's you know Wellington. Okay. And then they've got there's polo in in uh, like Port Mayaka, uh, Okeechobee area. Okay. Um, like where does that where does the polo world rate in the states? Like what's like the town hotspots? There's like what probably five or six. So the winner the winner polo capital would be wellington florida okay so south florida and then the summer you know that's kind of when everybody scatters out during the summer and they go to santa barbara some go to jackson hole uh bighorn is is one of the most popular uh places to go for the summer 
partly because it's Bighorn, Wyoming. It's yeah. beautiful, but they've created such a good community for summer polo there. Yeah, it's like the community is built around polo. It, it, absolutely, and and you're surrounded by ranches too. And yeah. but it, it's just um, ever. I mean, it, they have a lot of. There's a lot of polo. I mean, it polo every day, and but they focus a lot on on kind of um, getting their younger horses ready for for stepping up to the next level mm -hmm. and and so and that was kind of the way it was back when i was there and there's a long history with polo in bighorn but it's just a really good vibe and good environment up yeah. there for for summer polo and it's not as serious you know because the winter season is is that's serious polo and so it's almost kind of a a little bit of just a relaxed vibe you know yeah summer, it's like so. it's their summer home more yeah it's yeah. sort of what they're they're yeah. just keeping everything legged up yeah and it was it was a i mean i loved it up there i mean i didn't like the winners um yeah and i'd had the deal i had had was i'd spend my winters in san antonio uh back when where thomas still had their polo club and i'd take a load of horses and play play the winter season in, in san antonio and then get back up there in time to play during the summer and I'd spent some time up there too, but it was the same deal. Where like I had a buddy up there that was shoeing corrective shoeing horses, and he was expensive, and he he'd be working with these ranchers, and then the same thing. Polo pays a hell of a lot more. Go over yeah. there to Bighorn, so that was kind of like my introduction to that world. And you go to these barns, you're like, what are we doing going to these two bit cow outfits? Like, let's just set a tent up at this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you can. I mean, you think about you show up at a polo barn, you've got. You, you got 30 to 60 head you could chew in a day, you know, and they two spend guys money on them to get them correct. Yeah. And, and you don't have to travel. You just stay right there and work all those horses, yeah. you know, get them shod. And, and it's, but it, yeah, it, I just, I love that area. Um, I hadn't been, I went last summer for Don King days. I just took a little, I hadn't had a kind of a vacation in a long time. Yeah. And How was it? They it, still doing the bucking horses in the shootout? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so they still, you know, they they buck those horses out, but they they've got a shoot now. You know, they used to do it where those those guys would just crawl over the pickup man and get yeah. on their horse. Yeah. And now they've got a shoot. But they had it where the shoot come out, but then they just get a neck rope on them, or they just they get the rein on them, and then they'd be dallied off to the rein, and then the bronc rider would be on back behind the pickup man, and yeah. then he would hop across. Is yeah. that what they did? Now they just do it in the buck and shoot. Really? They get on them in the buck and shoot. Oh, and, okay. Uh, and so it that's changed a little bit, but it, it's still fun to watch. I mean, the steer roping to me is the funnest to yeah watch, the tripping's you know. cool yeah you especially know, on out, a polo field they're, they're just tearing field. that sucker up yeah and you know and, and so i always you know i always enjoy watching this deer open and it's just a good time and, and it's funny because i hadn't been up there in so long and man i ran into people that i hadn't seen in oh that's neat 20 though. years you that's know, neat it was, that they remembered and they yeah were doing in town? and so yeah. i just visited you know i got to visit with a lot of people i hadn't seen in so long very and, cool and so it was, it was, I didn't want to leave, but I had to get back. You know, I was there for three days and had to get back home, you know. But. Yeah, that was, I guess, to pull it back, because I, I knew I sent you on that tangent, but you were, you were in Wyoming. You went back to West yeah, Texas. West Texas. I was, I was on a ranch south of Marathon. Stayed out there for a while, but I was, you know, I was still young. And that ranch was, it took you from the blacktop to get to the headquarters was almost a three-hour drive the Jeez. roads were so rough and bouncy and, and long you know you were still you were quite a ways in to get to that to get to headquarters how did you like that down there in that i loved country? i i had always loved 
far west texas like i had always had a fascination with far west texas and it is its own thing it's, far oh, as a feeling. It, it's a different world yeah. and and i can remember when i was younger my grandmother on my mom's side was always preaching to me about going to school at sol ross i i had no interest in going to college you know but she would always talk about sol ross and alpine and and so i when i worked out there it was like a dream come true you know i was um the guy I was, I was living with was, he was actually, uh, our horseshoer. When I worked for Tommy and Billy, he was shoeing horses for them. And he had also shod my mom's horses when mom was in high school. So we had known him forever. His name was Tom Milton. And he would tell story. He, he, he had packed mules in the Grand Canyon. He had, he had incredible stories. And he was one of those guys that never told the same story twice like every time he told stories they were all new stories and and uh so he um he was out there so it was kind of like a dream come true i was on a ranch in far west texas i was living with tom milton and we spent a lot of time working on windmills and i had a fascination with windmills and so and that's actually where kind of my where i started writing like i wanted to start writing stories because I loved windmills and I got inspiration from windmills and it could be about windmills or just other things. And, and I was, was that a lot of like windshield time to the windmill? What, what it was? No, just cause we were out in the middle of nowhere yeah. and, and there was, there's something. Cause that technology for a windmill hasn't changed in 150 years. Right? No, from it's what I've been, been told. it's been the same, you know, for forever, yeah. you know, but it was one of those things and it might sound kind of cheesy or maybe, too romantic but when windmills are mystifying you know if you stand under a windmill and you look up at it when it's turning it looks like like the like everything is moving but the windmill and you kind of get hypnotized by it but when you hear a windmill you know making water and you know you hear the rattle you hear the ping and you hear all of those noises there's something about that that's that that's kind of hypnotic and just the history of windmills. And it's just like, it, it is an iconic imagery of the American West. It's what made settling it's, that it's, area it's possible. It's what made the West. And, yeah. that's, and that was, I can remember Tom Milton saying, you know, without windmills, we wouldn't have the West. You know, yeah. that's what made it possible. And, and the other thing about Tom is he was an avid reader. You know, he, he was a diehard, um, you know, old cowboy. Uh, and, uh, but he was also an avid reader. So he, he was actually, he gave me, the first time I ever read um, The High Low Country by Max Evans, it was it was his copy, and I was immediately fascinated. So you guys got along like a house on fire yeah. then with your book collection. It, it, it was kind of, and it was really kind of interesting because he, uh, all we ever ate were frozen dinners, and, and he also, he smoked, but you never smelled cigarette smoke. And it was always really interesting to watch Tom smoke cigarettes because he, he just never... You never knew he smoked, but he would always, when he was done, he would take those filters and put them in his pockets. He would never throw those filters away and, until he until he had, you know, he took his jeans. At, he'd wear the same pair of jeans all week, and so he would empty out those cigarette butts. Yeah, but he was one of those guys that never, like, you never knew he smoked, you know, and he smoked camel. I, they were like, I don't know, camel wides or something. I don't know what they were. They were like little short cigarettes, you know, but so it was always, I was, I was kind of like man 
he actually makes smoking really cool. And like, I kind of thought, man, I want to smoke camels, you know, and, mm -hmm. but he was a, he was such a good storyteller that that was a big influence on that part of my, my mindset. But that's when I kind of got, you know, he was like, man, you're too young to be stuck out here on this ranch. You need to be doing stuff, you know? And that's when I came back to San Antonio and worked for the vet supply company and but gotcha. it didn't it didn't work you know i didn't do that long before yeah. i i just got back into just horses you know completely and that's when i moved to kentucky and that was that was in the late 90s uh might have been 98 when i moved. were you to, ground moved lexington to, there i was in louisville first or in lagrange so i was right outside of louisville or louisville uh, yeah how everybody says it but and i was working for a guy named nick rennekamp who was one of my mom's best friends and he trained polo horses and he trained race horses too but he had he had grown up training polo horses and playing polo and so i went to work for him uh and he had a his his farm was called prison view farm because literally <laughs> from the pasture you could see the prison you know mm -hmm. and and so occasionally you would get these these warnings, you know, about a prisoner escape, you know, and, and so you're always worried you'd be out feeding horses and you'd see some prisoner. Oh, yeah, that up. makes being scared of the dark a whole different thing yeah, going so, to the barn. But he was he was another guy that and I think it's with anything with any horse culture is everybody's a storyteller. And Nick, Nick could tell stories like we would when we would play polo in Lexington, we'd we'd drive from LaGrange to, to Lexington and it. I don't know, hour and a half, two hours, but he would tell stories the whole time, you know? And so I would, I would kind of remember some of the stories or how he told the stories. And I used to think, man, one day I want to be like these guys, you know, I want to be telling these stories and, and how they remember those things. But, it, but it was always, they would start off by remembering a horse. So they would tell you a story about the horse and then it would go into another story and then another story. But I worked for him oh it was just for a season and then after the season was over we went to a horse sale um and at the time and this is and he's actually responsible for for introducing me to my ex-wife but so is that when, a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> well it's kind of a funny story um how that all started is he had a horse for sale and it was a pretty, he, it was a nice mare. She was an older mare, a good polo pony. And, and one day he was like, you got to sell this horse for me. There's this girl that's going to try this horse today, but you need to kind of put the sales pitch on her, you know? And he was like, you're a young, handsome cowboy. You know, you can, you can talk her into buying this horse. And she didn't buy the horse, but <laughs> she bought you instead. Yeah, huh? it, it, <laughs> so uh, what's your stud fee? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much and so the funny thing is is she didn't buy the horse but when we would at, like on Fridays I guess after we'd play polo in in Lexington you know they everybody'd kind of sit around and they might somebody might cook some meat you know there might be a little they might have an, an asado and one night we were all sitting around there after the game and and uh and Nick her, her name was Reagan and he was like Reagan you need to go out with Jerry, you know, I'm going to pay you a hundred dollars to take him out on a date. And I was kind of like, I was kind of embarrassed, you know, and I thought that there's no way. And sure enough, you know, I went out on a date with her and then we went out on another date and we ended up, uh, you know, two years later we got married and, uh, and we were actually, so I, had, after I'd worked for Nick, I moved to Lexington and was, 
I had an apartment, but I was her and I were dating pretty heavy then, and I was kind of working for myself, just uh, just riding horses for everybody, just kind of riding some outside horses. I'd drive from one farm to another and just ride, and then I went to work for uh, for a uh, Bill Baker, uh, Doctor Baker, who owned a vet clinic, um, in. I mean, everybody calls it Versailles, Kentucky, but he had a vet and he played polo and had racehorses. And so I went to work for him playing polo and riding some of his young horses. And, uh, then eventually, um, uh, we ended up moving to South Carolina. Uh, my, uh, we, we were engaged at the time and we moved to, uh, Aiken, South Carolina. And where was she from? Well, in a roundabout way, she, she's a she's a texan but she was um her her dad her mom and dad um her dad was uh from schlacker county originally which is el dorado crystal you know that area right around it's el dorado but um not cristobal but they uh and her mom anyway i don't know she the, wasn't from the, the exact Carolina, history so. but but she was living in in kentucky but she had gone to school in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, and so, and her dad was a professor at USC in Columbia, uh, South Carolina, and so it kind of worked because Aiken, South Carolina, was really exploding for polo. It was becoming kind of, mm. kind of a hub for 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 polo polo ponies playing polo and a lot of horse trainers, and so it it was a really good spot to move to because she could be close to her dad. Uh, in Columbia. And so we moved to South Carolina and that's where we got married. And at that time I was, I was playing a lot of polo and, and training a lot of my own horses, but it was one of those, it was one of the best things because it was a very small community, but some of the best polo players in the world were living there. And I got a lot of opportunity to ride and play polo with, with a lot of those guys. And when you were doing that, I mean, is it a lot of the same fundamentals and then you just apply polo to the back end of it as far as the horsemanship goes? Did you have a lot of the same techniques and then you – because I guess I'm not even thinking that throughout all this you're probably getting to be a pretty good polo player, which is a whole different yeah, thing. Yes and no. Um, yeah, I mean, my thing is in, – and in I'm actually – I kind of – I'm kind of proud of, of how I played polo because I was always playing young horses. And so – but I could play them well enough that they looked, they looked like they had more experience than they did. Gotcha. I could really sneak a lot in with those horses. And yes, I was getting better at playing polo, but I was never going to be a it wasn't top your intention. polo. Yeah, I just my thing is I didn't want to become a top polo player. I just wanted to make good horses. Yeah, for and polo. polo ponies, because I could train horses and play polo. And so that was my main focus. Not that, that I wanted to, to play a lot of polo. I just didn't have that competitive nature. Yeah. Like I was more protective of my horses and I made a lot of good horses that way. And, but I was, you know, I was starting my day at three, three thirty, four o'clock in the morning and I wouldn't get done till nine, 10 o'clock that night. Cause I could, I was playing at one time I played three games in one day I could I could go play at one place in the morning played another place in the afternoon and then played another place that evening like I would leave the farm with a load of horses and I wouldn't get back till that night 
but I would get so much done in it. And sometimes guys would be like, Hey, can you play these horses for me? And so I might play someone else's horses. And that's the same game, right? That's like similar with race horses. It's like the horses and the rider are two different entities. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the players are not the guy that grew up on that horse. They're the guys that just get given the horse. Sometimes. The, yeah. Okay. And sometimes like some of the players that raise their own horses, if they had some young horses that they needed played, they would ask me to play them for them, which worked out in a couple different ways. Like they could see where those horses were in their training, but they could also get those horses played if mm -hmm. they didn't have time to play them. And so, and a lot of those guys were, had different styles of how they train their horses. So I was learning a lot of different variations of how to train your horses. And so I could learn from this guy one way that he likes his horses and then I could learn something from another guy. You know, he might say, well, do this, do, you know, he, they, we might be going down the polo field and he might ride next to me and say, do this with that horse. Cause I need, you know, he would have me, he would correct me. So that horse would get corrected for him. Yeah. yeah. For, for the, what His he wanted to see. Yeah. Style. What he wanted to see in that yeah. horse. And so I learned a lot from a lot of those, those horsemen. And then eventually I left, uh, Less when, when my, my wife and I got divorced, I went, I, you know, I moved around quite a bit. I mean, I went through, I, I call it a little bit of my, it was kind of a turbulent phase, you know, cause I was basically homeless and I was basically unemployed. I was working for myself, but I had no home. You know, I was, there was a time and I'm actually, I was going to, I'm, I'm constructing a story right now about living out of my truck and it's, and it's loosely um, you know, so there was a little bit of that. And then I had actually, when I went to Florida, I had a, a lady who played polo and had a ranch in Kansas. And she immediately was like, I want you to go to work for me. So, so I, the Carolina went to Florida, I, to, went to Kansas. To Kansas. Yeah. And, and all I was doing in Can I, I was playing polo for, her, um, but I, she wanted me to be more of a professional polo player. Mm. And I just didn't, yeah, I, I spent that summer being a professional polo player and I didn't like it. Yeah, um, I, I liked more just the training side of it. But it was one of these you play to win. And I was like and I was still trying to be protective of my horses and the horses of hers that I was playing. And I just didn't like that competitive side. I mean, I, I love polo. I love the speed. I love the horses. But it just I didn't want to be a professional polo player. Yeah, it's and, kind of two different animals. Yeah, and it's and so because you you start to, I mean, not that you forget about your horses, but you you have to put them on the back burner to yeah, get you, done what you, you have need to. Done. You have to be more competitive and and less worrisome. I mean, if you spend about, all your time worrying about every muscle twitch you're giving towards this horse, yeah. that's sort of counterintuitive to the act of polo, where yeah. it's the <laughs> The players yeah. are there to play. So they step foot on a horse and the trainer's there to get that horse where they want them. But by the time they're yeah. done, there's probably some rough edges need taken off by you. Yeah. So it's kind of two different personalities. And that, and that was kind of the thing. They don't like, coexist. Like I would, I would go into a play and I would check up because I wanted to protect that horse versus making that play. And, and so it just, I mean, luckily it was, it was just a summer gig. And so I, you know, I can say, yeah, I was a professional polo player yeah. once, you yeah. know, and, 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 and that's, so from there, you know, I, I, 
I got pretty burned out on the on on the polo side of it. I mean, I was cooked, and and it uh, just a lot of things kind of exploded, you know. And and so after that, uh, I did a I went back to Aiken for a little while and, and sold some horses, and then from there, um, I decided to come back to Texas, and I went to work for a cutting horse trainer. Uh, did that for a little while. What and was, I was that in like? Kerrville. I was actually in Kerrville at the time. How were you? Uh, work. I was just on. Uh, I was on the north side of of I ten, just right up the road. Uh, Whiskey Canyon Ranch mm-hmm. is where it was. But so I, I worked for a cutter for a little what while. Was that like kind of switching mindsets, or was there much? I wanted. I on? wanted to learn a little bit more about because uh, we had always been around cutters, you know, and, and mom dabbled in cutting horses a little bit when we were younger but i wanted to i wanted to do something else and i wanted to learn something else Mm -hmm. and so um i remember i i called mom and i was like i'm coming back to texas i need to find something else to do and that afternoon i got a phone call from a cutting horse trainer and he was like you got a job just get back to texas and so i did that for a little while and from there, I met somebody that was working for the King Ranch. So I quit the cutter and went to work for the King Ranch and loved it. I mean, I stayed when was down that? there. That was 2007, 2008. I used to work for uh, a guy. Well, I'd, I'd help him out. He was a saddle bronc rider and bull rider, uh, Brad Williams. And he used to break colts at the King Ranch. And then he ended up working at the... Uh, Circle T Cutting Horse Ranch mm-hmm. in uh, over by Katimsi. Yeah, and I used to help him there at Katimsi. Yeah, uh, him and uh, uh, Cowboy Bob, uh, Bob Vickers, right there. Oh, okay, in the Steiners. Yeah. He worked for the Steiners. That's him. He was working wow. the rodeo and then also mounting out. Wow. Um, so anyway, yeah, that that's I didn't know if you had ever crossed paths with Brad or not. It's a possibility, you know, who knows. But he was a PRCA guy. He kind of, he ran with some of those, yeah. those guys back in the 90s. What, what were you doing with the Kings, Donna? I was just, so I, I went to work. Um, I did all their, their preconditioning cattle. Uh, it was a great, that that was probably the, the best job for me down there at the time. Because, and it, it was really funny, um, not to, to ever discount feedlot, cowboys are working in a feedlot but everybody was like oh you work in the feedlot and i'm like no i don't work in the feedlot my cattle are all outside you know they were all yearling cattle and they were all preconditioning cattle so that i was basically they i was the precon unit and it was me and and another guy named jerry who was born and raised on the king ranch so it was big jerry and little jerry but (laughs) jerry was he rode a four-wheeler all the time and i was horseback Every By your day. own choice or just because that's what you chose to do or what were they that like? was so he wanted to be on a four-wheeler just because it was easier he was yeah. older well that's what i mean it's yeah, like they he, weren't like a you are a horseback outfit like you could kind of choose what yeah and that's and i wanted to be horseback and and my boss was a was a guy named mike mayo and one of the i i i love that guy to death you know he was just a because he he respect he gave me instant respect when i went down there he was like this is your job do it he never interfered he you know um i would check in with him and he was like good job you know or do this do but it was every day horseback i i was i was horseback you know as soon as the sun came up i was on a horse and i and and of course you know my horses were at the feedlot 
and so I would trot out of the feedlot and I'd just go ride through however, you know, we had, I can't remember how many pastures it was, but at one, you know, at one time I'd have 3000 yearlings scattered across all these traps. And I could like in one day I would pick these pastures to go ride through and I'd go trot through and doctor. I mean, and I roped every day I was roping cause I was doctoring cattle every day and, and I do, I doctor them out in the pasture and, and so I, I was, I loved it because I was by myself most of the time Yeah. and I was horseback on King Ranch horses on the King Ranch, you know, and, and I, it was kind of one of those like childhood dreams, but it was more of a dream of my mother's, you know, she, she was like so excited when I went to work for the King Ranch. She was at the because, grocery store saying my boy's down at the King Ranch. Exactly. Yeah. You know, because she grew up, you know. Buster Welch was her idol. You know, the King Ranch was like the place for, you know, it was just, and, and mom was, you know, she's South Texas born and raised. And so the King Ranch was the only ranch, you know, in her mind. And so it was, you know, when I went to work for the King Ranch, and I've, I've mentioned this before, and, and some of what I've written on Instagram is she was like, you ride as many horses as you can when you're down there, you know, like don't waste a minute of what you're doing. And so I, I, when I went down there, you know, it was, I, I immediately was like, okay, I need, I would go to my boss and be like, can I get another horse? Can I get another horse? Cause you'd have to go through this, this kind of system to get horses for, for, for your string. And so the first horse that, that I got was for, well, they had a gelding for me to, he was a, broke gilding that had been kind of passed down and i was like man i don't want somebody else's leftovers and i remember a guy at the feedlot a guy named mike weber was like hey there's a horse out there in pt14 which was a trap he's like if you can catch that horse you can put it in your string and i was like okay and i went out there to catch this horse there was no catching this thing that's why he was out there they couldn't catch him and eventually i got him into the into a a set of doctor and pins and got him in the load and shoot. And I had to rope him in the load and shoot, got a halter on him, loaded him in the trailer and hauled him back up. They had a round pin there at the office at the feedlot, put him in that round pin. And I can remember it was way past dark and it was in December. So it was getting a little bit cold at night. And that first day I caught him that night, I had him saddled and I was riding him that night. He, he was unbroke. And I remember one of the guys at the feedlot was like, man, what are you doing? And he looked in the round pin. He was like, holy shit, you're riding that horse. And I was like, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to get him broke. And the next day I got on him at the round pin and I had that gate set to where I, when I came past it, I could push that gate open. So I trotted around, pushed that gate open and I was out of there. I, so by the end of that second day, I had ridden through several pastures of, of yearlings and he was broke, you know? And I remember somebody was like, man, how'd you do that? You know? And, and, and I was like, I gave him a job. I gave him something to do by the third day I was tying down yearlings on him. Wow. So I was and and I cheated at first. Like I would get those yearlings and we had like a big, you had like a big corral that would funnel into a doctor and shoot. And, uh, so I'd get a yearling in there where I didn't have to run real fast and I could, I'd bust him and I'd get off and tie him down. And then by the end of the week, I was tying cattle down outside off that horse. And I, after that, I would, I was like, okay, I need another one. I need another one in the spring. 
they would have what they called their colt competition. So all the cowboys would have to bring their colts from the year before, and you would show in front of a judge at the arena, and you know you'd win. You know they whoever won, they'd give five hundred bucks, and you got first pick. You know out of the new two year olds, and I remember everybody had one colt that they showed, and I had four. <laughs> you know, and I had only started just that December, so I in in a matter of three four months four so december january February, so roughly four or five months i had four colts that i showed in front of the judge and they were like good and i roped off all of them of course i didn't you know i, I finished kind of at the bottom just because i was the new guy you know and which was fine i wasn't trying to prove a point i was just those were my horses you know i they were all young and and so you know but i had given all those horses a job and so it was, I just loved it, you know, cause that's all I, and I remember people were like, why do you want so many horses? I'm like, why wouldn't you? You're on the King Ranch. They raise horses. You can have them. Why not? Yeah. You know, why not do this? And, and so I stayed there for quite a while. And when they, they kind of were doing some downsizing and they wanted to put me in the feedlot and I was, you know, when they, when they said, you're going to go to the feedlot. I gave my two weeks notice Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, Built I can't be in a feedlot. And it was simply, I mean, it was like being caged up, you know? Yeah. And so from there I went, actually went back to Wyoming, um, of all things. Um, it was working for, I had sold a two year old, a King ranch horse to a guy that my brother was kind of working for in South Carolina. And he was, he was a wealthy kind of an eccentric horse collector. And, um, when I left the King Ranch, he hired me to work for him. Not real sure what I was going to do for him, but he had this idea. He was like, I want to do something with wild horses, with Mustangs. He's like, come up with an idea and we'll do it. And I was like, okay. So I kind of put a lot of thought into it. And there was kind of this gap in the, the Mustang world of people wouldn't adopt mares and they wouldn't adopt older Mustangs mm. because mares were unpopular and everybody thought well you can't break older horses they're just too hard to break and so i came up with the idea of like okay well we'll just get a group of horses and we'll take mares and we'll take older horses and we'll show everybody that they're just as easy and just as nice and i did that the first summer i did that i took eight or nine horses uh, Mustangs and and broke them just and did most of it by my I got them all started and then my brother came and helped me for I think he was up there for like a week and he helped me but so we did that the first I did that one year and kept one mare and actually took her down to Florida and played polo on her Jeez. and she was a pretty nice mare but I ended up crippling her um, so we had to turn her out and we got her sound again but the next summer I focused more on making some of them into polo horses mm. and so that was kind of my focus and my brother came up and helped me again that summer um and he stayed all summer this time but we did 14 of them then and they were anywhere from two-year-old fillies to nine-year-old geldings you know and, and we got you know we we got them all i took six of them with me that winter to florida and played polo on them 
And uh, so, where were you at in Wyoming when you were up there with the Mustang? I was sort in, of I was in bags. So yeah. I was I was in, you're in, which was such a cool little. T- I mean, it bag, cool. it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, know? right on the border. There. Right on, yeah, right there above Craig and big wagon sheep wagons for days south of there. That uh, somebody the other day asked me the name of that ranch. That's just very cool. Just south of there, yeah. Um, which was neat because when you'd see all those Conestoga wagons parked for like before they sent out their sheep during yep. the summer months, there'd be a hundred of those yeah those sheep herder so wagons cool. parked there, and then slowly they just they'd send them all out, and they were they used a lot of guys from Peru, you know, and so when you'd go up into all that BLM country, you'd see these massive herds of sheep. You'd see their wagon parked, their horses grazing, and you'd see the, you know, their their uh, their their dogs would be camped out around those herds. Yeah, and they'd be like on the road and stuff, laying down. You're like, don't yeah. roll your windows up. Yeah, these it, things ain't no joke. So it was pretty neat to to see that, you know. But and and I mean, bags was, you know, it, it's it's a ghost town, you know. And, and yeah, I was just through there probably a few years ago, and it looked like there was getting a little capital injection. There was some money coming in. They were redoing some things, but tastefully. But it did look like something yeah. was happening. That was yeah, and that good was when the guy I worked for, he was trying really hard to to build bags up he yeah. he wanted that community to he he had actually he was the he was trying to get the community center built mm-hmm. and he was a big funder behind that community center um, that would make sense yeah, yeah. It's a cool spot. It, it was a neat place i mean it cold i mean i can remember it snowing in july but i so anyway i we, i did that deal for two years and then eventually i came back to texas at, and that's kind of i went back one of my best friends was living out near Marathon and he was like, man, just, just come back to Texas. Come stay with me. Uh, we'll find you a job, you know? And, and it's the first time I'd ever not had something lined up. You know, it was the first time in my life that you were driving somewhere and you didn't know that where I, you're going to pay that. I didn't know. I didn't know who I was going to work <laughs> yeah. for or what I was going to do. And, and, and Pee Wee was like, just come stay with me. We'll, we'll, we'll find you something. And eventually I found a ranch to work on. It stayed there for a little while, and in 2011 is when I moved to Cristobal, and I've been there since on that same. It's the longest I've ever stayed in one place was on the ranch that I'm on now. So. What do you like about it so well? You left, you're kind of left alone, and you got, left your, own, alone. And you got yeah. your own place, and you can kind of add and do what yep. you need. And it, It's a good little ranch. It's in a good location. It's so central to a lot of places, and, and when I say that, I'm within four hours of a lot of, and everybody's like, four hours is not close. And I'm like, four hours to Fort Worth, four hours to Austin, four hours to San Antonio, four hours to Alpine, you know, two hours to Abilene. You know, yeah. I'm close to a lot of places. Yeah. The owners are great people. They leave me alone. They let me, they just trust me to run that ranch like it's my own ranch. And I raise my own horses um, and, and I just work at my own pace. Uh, and it's pace. just like, Here's a big yearly picture. We'd like you to get this done, but yeah. in the meantime, yeah, run it like it's yours. Yeah, and they're like, as long as those, you know, as long as your cattle are taken care of, you, you do what you what you do, and so it allows me to to train my own horses, do my leather work, and do and it, it's 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 been sort of an enlightenment because I've more it's become more of a. I've become so comfortable with myself because I'm comfortable with where I am. You know, I feel safe. Um, it's home. 
which in ranching is hard because yeah. you never feel like you always got to be able to pack pack it in horse cheddar. Yeah, and that's and so it's become probably a, nice to just kind of spread out and have your yeah. other stuff out. I mean, speaking from my experience, like it's just nice to set up a shop. Yeah, and just have it and not yeah. have to pull out a toolbox whenever you want to make a stinking slobber strap. Yeah, and that's that's made a big difference because yeah. I I think about like when I would build leggings and I was in it. I had a, a that one place I was on before I moved to to Cristoval. I'd be working on the floor trying yeah. to build a pair of leggings and I couldn't hardly stand up or walk after because I'd be yeah. on that concrete for so long. And but it it's made a big difference because I can relax and and it's helped me with with everything that that I do. And and, and I've kind of left out a, a big part of my personal life is is that that I that I was with uh I'm kind of, I don't know if I can, I'm going to try not to tear up talking about it, but I'd been with the same girlfriend for 13 years and, and she helped me a lot with, with my life. And I got to see her turn into, to one hell of a, of a, of a hand. I mean, and, and so. Is this af after your ex after my, after my divorce um, okay. and her name's Cecilia and, and Cecilia um we met through the polo world but she um she helped me with the mustangs um and then when she moved here uh to to Cristoval on the ranch she didn't know how to rope she didn't i mean she wasn't she wasn't a cowgirl and and so she trusted me to teach her and at the same time her and i made great we made a great partnership with everything we did on the ranch she learned how to ranch and it got to be where in the spring when we branded calves, everybody was like, oh, shit, Cecilia's going to be dragging calves because you couldn't keep up with her. Yeah. I mean, she was going in there bringing two feet out uh, every loop. And and she got she got to where she loved it, you know, and and she got into training dogs a lot. Uh, she got really into hog hunting. So this whole world just fit her like a dirty glove. It did. And, and she and she was so adaptable to it and and she had that intellectual side to where if she didn't know it she learned it yeah and then from there she got into tracking wounded game uh she got really big and she's got one of the best dogs in the country now as far so as she'd get like hired out to track, yeah, to game. Go track deer nice. and and then from there now she's into bird dogs but but eventually you know we grew apart um in a good way because she found her purpose and her independence in life and it was one of those things where where we got to a point in our life where we could take care of ourselves and we weren't going to grow if we didn't separate yeah. our lives and and I'm it's it's a hard thing to to discuss in a sense of 13 years absolutely and then it ends I haven't done anything for 13 years you know and but it was one <laughs> yeah. of those things where you know, our relationship was, was never perfect. And there was plenty of times that, that I wasn't the best person I could be for her. And it was, it, there was just this, there was always this little bit of turbulence and, and there, there was, I mean, she did things for me that, that, that I could never, never repay her for, you know, when, when mom and dad got sick and when they died, she was, she was the best person in my life. She was, she was stronger than, 
than any than anybody ever should be asked to be but but it got the thing about it now is we are probably better friends now than we ever were and mm. it was a matter of do we save our friendship or do we keep fighting with a horrible Blow relationship yeah. mm -hmm. and you know just like you know i talked to her the other day and then she last night she asked me if i could take one of her dogs because it wasn't getting along with some of her other dogs you know and, and so uh there's you know like if if i'm out of town she's like well i'll go by and check on the ranch for you because she lives on a ranch about 50 miles from me she's actually taking care of a place um just outside of menard okay. um and so uh you know it it's one of those things like and even this spring it was kind of funny because it wasn't something we had made public knowledge you know we didn't want to make a big deal about yeah not being together anymore and people i think people wanted to ask but they never did mm -hmm. but like this spring when she came to help brand she didn't have a trailer and i was like well you can just ride marsala you know don't you know don't worry about trying to get one of your horses over here just come to the ranch and use marsala and so somebody had made the comment. They were like, man, that's pretty, that's pretty good deal. when when you can end a 13 year relationship and she can use your horses to drag calves on uh -huh. and be happy using your horses and yeah. you're happy letting her use your horses. Yeah. And I was really, it was like a really proud moment. And I, I did write an Instagram post about it. Um, she's dragging calves on Marsala and, and I had kind of, inserted a little bit of information in a lot there. of subtext a lot of symbolism yeah in there, you sure. read between the lines yeah. you know and, yeah. and but it was a really proud thing for me and so i was really uh proud of that and I mean, that, that's that's rare for people to be able to do that absolutely and that's i yes it is and and you know i i don't i'm not going to brag about it but i'm proud of where we are um and and there's plenty of things that that i'm ashamed of you know from our relationship but but the fact that we can that we overcame that, we survived that, and we were we're so we survived all of that, and we're we're friends now. So, um, and she might she might have other opinions, you know, about some yeah. But things, I mean, but. you think about that, and and neither you're going to be where you're at without each other, and your paths having crossed. So she would have never known that she liked this lifestyle as much until you yeah. brought her into it, and now she's taken that lifestyle and then added to it yeah, in a different direction. Yeah, you are she, so it's just. It's, kind of just what it is yeah and it, it's i i'm it, it it blows me away how if people didn't know her they think that she's grown up in this world oh yeah i, I mean she is i mean she's one of the best dog ladies dog women whatever you want to call them that that i've ever seen it is dogs. funny i've watched you know? a lot of guys that grew grew up and eat slept and breathed horses that have just applied that to dogs like horses yeah. have taken the back burner because i don't know there's a little bit of crossover i guess but they just have completely dedicated their lives to dogs at a certain point and there's just that certain personality shift like horses are the entry and then like the dogs are the passion yeah and that's yeah. so it's good to see cause like she can see it she can watch a dog and she'll stop it before it does something because she knows it's about to do yeah. something yeah and you know and she can snap her fingers or give it a look and that dog backs off yeah and so, and she's got such good instincts when she watches her dog. I feel like maybe that's more of a sharpened instinct. Like horses are, 
they're pretty they're a prey animal they're pretty basic when you get to know them you you can kind of feel when they're gonna do something and all that stuff and that's maybe an easier thing to understand and then your real empaths or something yeah go to dogs yeah because they're 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 a little more complex yeah 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 so so yeah so so that's but it, it kind of where i was going with all of that is is we both found kind of a a, a newfound freedom when we when we broke up mm. and that's when i really started becoming more comfortable with writing because i had to do something with everything that was in my head mm -hmm. or everything that i was feeling and the best way for me to to express any of that was either write things that i was thinking about or reflect on stories that i had started writing years ago and it just became so much easier to to express those things because I, I had only myself to rely on for emotional support in a sense. You know, obviously I had my friends, but there was, it became so much easier to just sit down and write. Yeah. What's reflect. that? Cause yeah. I, I don't know if I mentioned it on here, but like having Jake on, right. The lost cowboy, the book, the very act of sitting down and writing something is such a feat of like, all of your natural inclinations. Yeah. It is such a forcing your body and mind to sort of dive into something that takes up all your bandwidth and anybody can do it. And I think that's why maybe it doesn't get the respect it deserves, but for someone to cross that barrier to actually doing it is such a huge feat of yeah. like everything. Yeah, it really is. And that's in, in the, the thing about writing um, for me is if I have to force it, it's garbage, you know, then I'm writing just for the sake of writing something. Yeah. I liken that to the music, like, yeah. the, like, like the writing rooms and shit in Nashville. Like, how do you get anything good out of that? Just bullshit. That's yeah. why it sounds like bullshit. You're, you're That's writing. Why it all sounds the same. Yeah. You're yeah. forcing it and yeah. it's bullshit. Yeah. There's no, there's no, you got nothing to say. Yeah. There's no feel to it. There's no, there's no real soul to it. And no. so that's, so I try to, I try to be fairly, um, disciplined with my writing but it, if I, I don't write until it comes to me. And sometimes I'll go through things that I've written as far as notes and it'll inspire me to write something. Um, but I, I don't force it. I can't, it, it, if I think I write something just for the sake of writing, then I just, I stop myself immediately because I see so much of that yeah. um, on social media. Either people are writing just to just to put it out there or they're making videos just to get attention. And it's corny. It has no point of view. Yeah. And I want it. And, and like, so sometimes what I write is, is to, is to give people some information, you know, or some inspiration. And then sometimes I'll write because I'll want to, I'll share a little bit of like what I'm writing for movie ideas or for screenplays and yeah. that type of thing. So, like, like the post I'm working on right now, which, which people, they'll ask me, they're like, God oh, dang, how do you write that so fast? And I'm like, well, no, it might take me four days to write something before I actually post mm -hmm. it because I'll, I'll correct things or I'll change things. But like, I'm working on a post right now, but it's, it's a line, it's, it's a line of dialogue from a screenplay that I was working on. But at the end of that dialogue, I want to put a little bit of myself you know, like say, well, the reason I'm I'm writing a screenplay about a laundromat is because at one time 
I was sitting in a laundromat doing my laundry because I was living in my truck. Yeah. And it, that's where the inspiration came from. So that's, so I want to p- at least put a little bit of a personal message after that dialogue. So yeah. there's a connection. It's not just randomly writing things. And so that's kind of what I've been working on, you know, and I've been trying to plan that post for a long time because I wanted to put a picture of a laundromat, uh-huh. but I didn't want it to be just a laundromat in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. And we just happened to have an El Dorado. There's a laundromat that is, it, the town it, is the laundromat. It, it, it's, it's got this, it's this old rundown building. Uh-huh. Half the machines don't work in it. And it, it looks like it could be a, a state, a, a movie set because it's, it's, it looks like something so old and country, you know, now if there was just a giant oak tree and a picnic table outside, it'd be my ideal setting for what I've been writing. Yeah. But the inside is perfect for that. So yeah. Kind of just a forgotten about piece yeah. of American history. That, yeah. And that you find that a lot in Texas, which yeah. is what I enjoy about driving around yeah. here. It's yeah. just, it's, there's a lot of forgotten places and kind of go back in time. Yeah. But. Where's that look like with, from writing to like, uh, what's the interest in the screenplay and, and stuff like that? So I've, I've always had a, uh, fascination with, with movies. Um, and that started when I was actually married and living in South Carolina. I met a screen, uh, screenwriter and she had acted a little bit, but she, she, oh, was, she was a screenwriter. Yeah. She was a screenwriter and she was working on a screenplay that it, it was interesting. It was basically about women rustock riders and she had asked me to kind of consult with her on it uh, from a cowboy's point of view. And, but at the same time, my ex-wife and I sat down one night at dinner and we wrote, we basically wrote a whole movie on napkins. It wasn't a screenplay, but it was a movie concept start to finish in three acts on napkins. And the next day we gave it to that lady and she was like, y'all wrote this in one evening. I was like, yeah, it was, you know, cause my imagination took off and, and my, my ex-wife, just wrote it all down on these napkins and so anyway she had she was fascinated that i could do that in one evening Hmm. and i said oh my brain is full of stories and so when she went back to la she we went my ex-wife and i flew out to la to visit her and worked a little bit on the screenplay went to some uh sony picture studios walked around some of the back lots and then ate dinner with the director one night and kind of just I, I really got hooked on that whole idea of creating, um, yeah. Movies, taking it from you know. concept to sort of yes, the production. Yeah, so, but, yeah. uh, but you kind of learned through her how to write in a screenplay voice so, or no, do you just kind of so, like Cormac McCarthy at where it's like no punctuation, you just stream of consciousness th- and see that and then just make of it what yes. you will, like make it into a screenplay. This is, yeah. And that's, see, I've tried to done. write screenplays and they're hard because it's uh, so much like, it's so much the, with the way it's all like uh, structured out, right? Yes, yeah, and and, that's, and, and I've like tried to, to hard teach myself, to... and I've I've read books on writing screenplays, and and it's, I mean, as much as I would love to to be in control of all the dialogue for a movie, I'm just that's not my mindset. Yeah. My mindset is just telling the story, and so that's where I got kind of fascinated with. I mean, if I have to be honest, I'll I'll. I'll play the Quentin Tarantino card. When I saw Pulp Fiction, when mm-hmm. it first came out in 90, 94, I, that was the first movie I'd really watched that was dialogue driven. Yeah. And from then I was hooked on like that style yeah. and, and, and it fascinated me. And so, 
um, when I got divorced is when I started really writing ideas for, for movies because I was getting so much inspiration from being so down, like depressed or, yeah. or low, you know, and yeah, they that's, always, that's inspiring you know, for your sure. best writing comes when you're depressed, you yeah, know, and, it does. but I would come up with one idea for a screenplay and then another one and then another one. And I was, I was getting all of these different ideas, but, um, but yeah, so imagine Tarantino writing a female rough stock movie. Yeah. It'd be the best. Yeah, it would. Because he always has really strong, like, yeah. female characters. Yeah, you know, absolutely. In every movie, yeah. it's always like they're the baddest chicks. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. You know? And so. so it's like, well, what what better pair than. Then there'll be like a horse come out and just explode with a, with a girl yeah, exactly. on his back. <laughs> yeah. Like blood yeah. and guts. Chicks spitting her teeth out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Load uh, up to the next one. I, yeah. that, that is fascinating because you would just, most people, I don't think, that are familiar with sort of the Western cowboy world, like the real, true enough, sure enough cowboy types would never guess that you were out there like chunking around on a screenplay. Yeah, exactly. But I would, I, I don't yeah. find it that odd, especially somebody no. who's sort of as introspective as yeah, you are. exactly. So, you Have know. you heard um, Andy Hedges' The Cowboy Crossroads? No, um, I think I have him on my Spotify. Uh, you need to on my list. I've, yeah. I haven't listened to much, but going through his catalog is cool. But the latest one is the historian at the King Ranch, and talk about just an authority huh. on the top, like fascinating. Really? I mean, the guy didn't say. I know it's a podcast, but it Andy didn't. I don't even know they introduced him. He just talked. Yeah, and it was huh. fascinating because wow. he was the actual like tour guide on the King Ranch. Hmm. But he that was like a retirement sort of job. He's like a professor type. Who was just talk about just yeah. the authority on the King Ranch? Huh. I have to listen to him. But I wanted yeah. I wanted to ask you like it seems like you're using Instagram a lot for an outlet for for some of your thoughts and writings and stuff. Yeah. And I, I get that because you you get to have that photo to to go along with it. Yeah. But is there any other outlets that you're using? Like, are you doing a blog or? N- no. Um. And I, I've, uh, it's funny because I, I have a TikTok account, but, but I keep, I keep them separate in pretty much every way. Like, like the Instagram, I, I put more depth, uh, like writing Mm -hmm. and I put a lot of thought into the Instagram and the TikTok is mainly talking about horse training, uh, because the platform, I mean, they're, to me, they're just different platforms and you know, you, Mm -hmm. you'll. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, and I I got a lot of the same followers, and and so being aware of that is I want to keep the two things different. I you know it's not like you want to go to Instagram and then you go to TikTok and see the same thing. Exactly. I see yeah. a lot of that and it's frustrating. And and I mean some people don't care. You know they it's all for entertainment. It takes a lot of work to you have to create two different types of content. You know and that's that's, tw- that's it, twice the yeah. amount of work. And there was a there was a. I went through a phase where I didn't post anything on TikTok for a long time because it is a lot of work, especially when you want to be creative, but also be informative. You don't want to, once again, it's like, you don't want to post something just to post it. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's fun to do, but, and, and with TikTok, I have 10 minute videos now, like, like I've stepped up, like, one day I get this notice like, oh, you can now do 10 minute videos. And I was, and it made it a lot easier for me to talk about training horses because I didn't have to break Mm -hmm. it up into like three minute videos. And, and so it's kind of funny on that sense, because when I could only do three minute videos, I might do 
five or six versions of it before I was happy with it because I'd be like, damn it, you I missed messed this up. Or, yeah, so then you'd yeah. go back. And with the 10-minute videos, I can literally turn the camera on and talk for 10 minutes and not have to do another take. It, it just, because it, there's no pressure, mm. I can get it in 10 minutes. Uh, but as far as like platforms for writing, I haven't, no, I haven't done anything outside of Instagram. Um, I've had uh, a lot of people tell me to do a blog. A lot of people said, you need to write a book or yeah, write any, books. Anything and, in the works? No, um, there isn't. Not yet. Um, I worked in going back a little bit more um, in my history with writing is I had worked on a series of children's books. I was writing for... Uh, uh, and I have one of them written, but don't, I don't have an illustrator and I'm picky cause I know what I want the, the illustrations to look like. I know what I want the books to look like. Um, and that's the closest I've That's a lot of to, people's gateway too. Yeah. And children's books are easy. Uh, yeah. I, easy easy but there's but yeah there's so much subtext to them all and, and that's has to have this overarching like, theme that's like, yeah makes sense mm -hmm. for adults and kids and that's what yeah. so my and series my series of children's books was basically about a little boy and his horse yeah um because i have a son and he's 17 now he's not a little boy anymore but when i started the concept for writing them he was a little boy and yeah. we had a horse uh named franklin uh, when my ex-wife and I were married that died. So it was basically about Henry and his horse, Franklin. And it was going to be where they traveled in different regions of the country mm. and ran into different animals. And so the first book is South Texas because that was, you know, that was just an easy start to the series. And it was about running into, you know, a caracara running into a snake, um, uh, like a, a, it was a king snake, and then running into a javelina, you know, and the animals explaining the difference with, you know, you think it's an eagle, but it's not, it's a caracara. Mm -hmm. You know, you think it's a, a, a coral snake, but it's actually a king snake. You think it's a, you know, a javelina smells like a pig, but it's not a pig, and it's not a, and, or it smells like a skunk, but it's not a skunk and it's not a pig either. Javelina is not. And so they were going to have educational value to them, not just stories, but yeah. have a purpose. Kind of a traveling, like uh, just a snapshot of an different animals in different regions of yeah. the U.S. Yeah. And so that was the closest I've come to anything book-wise. Now, when I was working for for the guy that I did the Mustangs with, at one point he was like, you're going to sit down and you're going to write a book. And I was like, it's not that easy, you know? And, and he actually, and it was an interesting time because I did do a lot of kind of real deep, like internal searching for, for what I was going to write because he had me living in a hotel. I lived in a hotel for a month. So I would go to the lobby and I would meet people and at the time, I w this was in Virginia, they were building a Wegmans grocery store, or like a massive, I mean, grocery stores, they're like destinations now, you know. And so I was meeting all of these people from within the organization of those supermarkets, and they were from all over the world. So I would sit down in the, because this hotel, they had like social hour every night. They gave free beer. So people would sit there in the lobby and drink mm. beer and and so I got to meet, but I wasn't doing much writing um, because it just wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be that guy that 
they could sit in the lobby of a hotel and start writing. No, like writing. the Starbucks laptop people. Yeah, and that yeah. I, exactly, and 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 I I did do a like I I I wrote um, an Instagram post a couple weeks ago about my about uh, about finding my muse and about uh, I sat down with a lady and did an interview that she was she was writing on the wild horse deal that we did, and it reminded me of. Uh, because we had talked about my muse, about finding my muse or being aware of my muse. And so I remember that interview I did with her and it all came back to me because when, you know, when you read The War of Art, he he references the muses so much. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so I'm reading a book that references the muses. I can remember a time, you know, doing an interview with a lady and bringing up having a muse. And, and so none of that time was wasted as far as not i no i didn't get a book written but i i found more seeds. yeah more of the seed the seeds just like you know rick rubin says you know you or you know you you plant those seeds and is you that see where i got ones. that subconsciously yeah subconsciously <laughs> you got it from reading a creative act you know and yeah but but that's that's a perfect example right there of the things that we don't realize we pick up yeah. You know, the the fact that you just said seeds and it comes from Yeah, I didn't realize I picked act, it up, you know, but, but yeah. But those things stick with you and it's yeah. some they might not come out right away, you know, and that's a lot of things um you know, they have to germinate, you know, then mm-hmm. those seeds will either grow or they won't. And and so platform-wise, it it's one of those I and I and I'm sure there's plenty of people that struggle with it is the minute you start to to structure it for publication the magic is gone yeah that's with anything when commerce meets art it's just it's a battle yeah you know and 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 you lose it it's no longer yours yeah it it starts to become its own you got to i think you got to give it away yeah it's it it becomes its own entity it doesn't reflect on you anymore it is this thing that has its own life in the world yeah and that that's i worry about that a little bit like like you know, once something is complete, then what? You know, and Rick Rubin talks about that in the creative act, you know. And that's like, why a lot of people will like, if it's their masterpiece, they'll work on it the rest of their life because they never want it to be done because it's yeah. their purpose. Yeah. Whereas if everything should just be a representation of a snapshot in time. Yeah. It doesn't have to be something you're going to agree with the rest of your life, but it's a it's how you're thinking right now, so put it out there. Yeah, you know, and that's, I always joke about Faust, you know, like, like it'll take me 60 years to, to mm-hmm. write my first yeah, book yeah, yeah. because I don't want to, I don't want to finish it. You know, and, and as far as the 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 movie concepts, yeah, I would. I mean, it would be incredible to to think, okay, you know, one day there will be a movie called, you know, Laundromat Texas, Population Six, and it'll be from something that that came from a little bit of disruption in my life to writing a movie concept that would become a movie someday. And, and, but the problem I have is like, I'll focus on one of my movie ideas and then I'll leave that and go focus on another one. Like, okay, which one do I want to put all of my focus into? And I can't, I can't pick one. Like, you know, I have two that are really important to me, um, as far as, is movie ideas, because they were the first ones that came to me when I went through my divorce and, uh, one of them was is called Anatomy of a Windmill, which comes from my fascination and love for windmills, and about how I could build a movie around 
the idea of a windmill. And the other one is called History of a Spoon, where um, basically a kid grows up um, in, a, in a village never knowing who his parents were. And it's a, where they, it's a, a village where they raise coffee beans. And eventually he has to leave to go find where he came from. It, it's a little bit kind of like, uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to say it's like the alchemist, but similar, you know, you go mm. searching for something when all along it was always there. Yeah. And, and so, and then anatomy of a windmill is similar in an, in an aspect, but, but the two are connected because at the end of anatomy of a windmill, he runs into the main character, the boy from history of a spoon. One's uh, so going south, like a, the other's going north. You're creating a universe essentially. Yeah. And so yeah. they, you know, and so those two are connected and really important. Uh, anatomy of a windmill, because I love windmills, it was where, you know, I draw a lot of inspiration from my history with listening to stories about windmills and just my fascination with windmills and the fact that a windmill you know, and, I, and I've said it and, you know, I've said it in a couple of posts where I was actually working on a windmill. And so I wrote some Instagram posts uh, pertaining to the to the movie idea and some dialogue, you know, and basically a windmill needs disturbance to bring life to the surface. You know, it needs the wind to blow to bring water to the surface. Well, we all need that in our lives. You know, uh, like for me, I needed that disturbance of going through a divorce, going through a breakup to really bring a lot of myself to the surface. Yeah, that's and great. To, and, and in doing so, you bring inspiration to others. You know, that water feeds your livestock, you know, or, you know it, it nourishes your livestock. Well, my water nourishes the public or nourishes whoever reads it or takes something from it. I mean, that's it. a great metaphor to do. You know, basic. And, I mean, yeah. have you ever thought of, sort of getting the sentiment across and in, in, in more of a short so it's not such a sort of daunting task a short that could go yes. into a feature later yeah and that's and and so i've kind of taken to to like the 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 short stories um yeah. uh because it can you know and, and i think it, it kind of it lends itself to this sporadic interest in so many things because yeah, i and suffer from the same you know and, and, it's like i am in I am super fascinated with everything and I'm devoted to nothing. Yeah. And yeah. that exactly. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's kind of like, you know, uh, it, it would be a, it, once again, it, it, it's just that idea of, man, that's a great solution to finishing something, but do I really want to finish it? And, and my thing is like, uh, like if I was to, you know, if, if you, if I was to step into a director, a director's office and they said okay go pitch your movie and i'd be like okay start to finish um you know in three acts th this is this is the guy struggling this is his struggles he's dealing with and i would start with okay opening scene you know we're watching a windmill bring water to the surface the sun is rising we see a young mexican guy walking you know through the country coming into this ranch headquarters he meets a family that has a young son and then 20 years later the young son's growing up. The Mexican boy is now an adult. The parents have moved off to France because they wanted to raise, they wanted to make wine. And so they left the West Texas ranch to their son. He runs into a girl who's living on the ranch in a school bus, you know, uh, with her young child um, who he never knew that they were actually living on. And 
he falls in love with this quote unquote gypsy woman and her son, you know, who's running away from her own problems. And all along, he knows that he will wake up one day and she'll be gone, which she is gone. But we also learn about his tragedy is that he had a wife and infant child who died tragically on the ranch. So he's struggling with this loneliness, this sense of loss. And he meets someone who he knows he's going to lose in the end. You know, like he, he so gets he's losing second, both ways. He's losing both ways and he's losing them in a similar way because he lost his wife and child. And he's about to lose this woman and her child but not at any fault of that's just who they are. They will leave. And so they eventually do leave. And so he decides to abandon everything and, and just leave and mm. follow his own dreams or so. And I put a little bit of a polo idea in there because one night he can't sleep. So he, he turns on the television and ESPN's playing a polo match. And, you know, which that's the way it used to be. Like you used to not be able to see a polo game on TV unless it was midnight on yeah, ESPN. Yeah, yeah. And so he sees that and he's fascinated with the horses. And so he said to himself, I'm going to go to Mexico and buy horses. And so he leaves and goes to Mexico. And that's where he runs into the boy who's coming to the States. So, you know, I can quickly and then you insert different things in there. And then but from that. You know, the other day I was cheating myself a little bit. I was like, you know what? I need to write a little short story about West Texas. So I was actually coming up with characters before I knew what the story was going to be. And it was going to be about these young cowboys in the 50s. Um, and actually, I started writing it when I came back from uh, from Bob Will's day uh, up in Turkey. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was because I, I was so fascinated by the stories of guys used to ride their horses, you know, you know, uh, back in the day, that's what you did. You rode your horses to the dance hall. You know, you tied your horse up outside. You danced all night. That's one thing about Texas I really enjoy is the fact that they're not letting that die. And I think the rest of the country is. Yeah. I, I, Montana, Wyoming included. I, they're yeah. letting it die. They don't care. They're selling out. Yeah. And, and I, I really enjoy that. Like, if you go to West Texas, you get a feeling yeah. for what it would have been like. And that's something you can't say for everywhere oh no and and that's and so that inspired me on that sense because like when i when i first came back to texas 12 years ago uh when i went out and stayed with peewee he was li he lived on a ranch called tesnus and tesnus is sunset spelled backwards which oh. it, it didn't dawn on me right away huh. which i feel kind of dumb when they finally reminded me of that i was like yeah that makes sense <laughs> but but it was one of those things like at one time that was kind of a um, I don't want to say a, a train stop, but it was a Tessness was a place where everybody went. Uh, and the rail, the railroad actually runs right through that ranch, but I sort was of like, just a hub for the yeah, kind of, kind of like, you know, you could visualize back in the day in the forties, you know, guys would ride their horses out there and dance all night. So I started writing a short story about these guys would meet up in town and there was a gas station in Marathon, um, that burnt down and rebuilt and it's there now and, and it's, uh, Sisto's. And I was, and so I started, cause that's where, when I was day working, we'd all meet at Sisto's and we'd load up in one truck and we'd go day work. And I was like, okay, all these guys meet at Sisto's, they all ride to right Tesnus, they dance all night, they wake up in the morning. And, and so, and I was telling the first night I met Jake, I knew right away I had him hooked because I was fascinated by Jake and we were sitting up and it was four o'clock in the morning, might even been closer to five by then. Zilk, I, Zilker, by the way. Zilky, yeah. Or Zil, is it Zilky? Or? Zilky, yeah. Zilky, yeah. 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 We, keep bring, we keep yeah. bringing them up. Yeah, yeah so. so, but, and, and I was, you know, I was immediately fascinated with Jake and his story. 
And, but I, I, we were sitting there in this hotel room and there was five or six other people in there. And I realized at that moment I was telling a story. I was like, my first idea for a story was called a girl and her tiger. And it was basically, and I, so I start telling the story and I was like, yeah, there's a guy in West Texas, you know, and, and one day he's, he wakes up, he had been sleeping on the ground because they had all got drunk the night before at a dance and he's sleeping on the ground and his horse kind of, kind of snorts on him and wakes him up. And as he looks up, he sees a tiger's tail going through the brush and he thought he was hallucinating when he saw this tiger's tail. And the next thing you know, he meets this girl who has a pet tiger and Jake was like, where did you come up with this? And I realized at that moment that everybody was staring at me and I was telling the story like, but this guy's on drugs. You yeah, know? Yeah, like, yeah. And, but that was my first, it, it was, it was, and I remember I wrote it down in notes. I was like a girl and her tiger, you know, which the title isn't that original because it's, it, you kind of think about, yeah, but that's know, a that, that could boy. that could happen in Texas. I've heard yeah, stories. Yeah, of, what are they? Car, more tigers? cartels guy. Yeah, There's yeah. more tigers in captivity mm-hmm. in Texas yeah. than in the wild. Cartel guys. I've heard of stuff where they they get they get locked up or they get killed, and then all of a sudden there's there's just like they got some place out in a random spot in Texas, and there's just tigers and lions roaming around. Because <laughs> because yeah. their owners are gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so that and and I first came, you know. I remember when I came up with that idea, it was just this, this weird idea. And I thought, man, it could be, it could be a really like cool little short story, but sort of strange, you know, like far West Texas. And there's this gypsy girl with a pet tiger Yeah, and, and the cowboy falls in love with this girl. But at the end of the story, is that your type, man? Gypsy girls? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I with, mean, I'm into tigers, it too. Yeah. yeah. With tigers, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it, so it, it's kind of it, it's interesting because, and I thought, well, the twist is at the end of the story. Was it a dream or was it real? Uh, you yeah. know, so yeah. you add that little bit of a twist. But the funny thing about it is, I don't even know if I should kind of mention it, but. Don't, uh, if you don't feel comfortable. I no, mean, these no, are good there, ideas. But there's, there's a girl that follows me on Instagram whose name is Tiger. Uh, and My brother's name is Tiger. It's a, I mean, it's a cool, it's a cool name. The, I know, I've never heard of a fe- I've heard of Tiger Woods, my brother. Yeah. But his is spelled with a Y. And then you're saying there's a female. Yeah, her there's her a girl. Her, her name is uh, Tiger Kaufman. Really? And I, I messaged her one day and I said, you know, I wrote, I started writing a short story, which was actually the, the first idea that that evolved into anatomy of a windmill but i told her i said i wrote a short was working on a short story about a girl and her tiger you know and, and so she thought that was pretty neat yeah and then from there it was like you should build a pair of leggings that have a tiger cut out in them and i was like yeah i could do that too but that was that was kind of one of those things like you know when i started telling that story that night and realized that i just i was entranced i i had kind of lost myself with telling the story like for a moment there wasn't anybody in mm. the room but me and then when jake said you know where'd you come up with this and i came back to reality and see everybody staring at me it was like oh man i totally lost myself well there you for can a minute, you can you know? argue that that's kind of like a primal sensation right that act of storytelling around a fire or something yeah. is like very primal and I, I imagine that's where they got escape as well i mean that that was their vision of a movie or a yeah. story I think too is it's an important role in society. Yeah, you've also 
you've probably spent so much time thinking about these things and writing these things and being with yourself and your own thoughts that like once you get into it i'm sure that you go right back into that mode and everyone yeah. else is not in the room anymore it's just like you. or that you just yeah. assume everybody's up to speed because you spent so much time with those thoughts to cope. Yeah. Yeah. and that and that yeah you're y'all are exactly right yeah and that's it's such a part of me it's it's like when you reach down and pet your dog when you don't realize you reach down and pet your dog yeah, yeah. it's always there well even you know? your body posture just of you talking about your riding is already like changed yeah. you know it's like it's very much you can tell you're very passionate yeah. about it and and that's it, it's just yeah and and it's funny because i'll find myself going down the road and like a character's name will pop into my head like just out of the blue like the other day i was i was going i guess i was going i was going to a horse show and the name tater green popped into my head tater like green. where it came from i have no idea so i immediately got my phone opened notes and wrote tater green and then the next thing you know another name came up and it was like where did the name tater but that's green. everybody who's done anything great's process yeah it yeah. comes out of nowhere it's yeah. like a, you you have your antenna up and it's just somehow transmitted through you yeah. but i guess with all that being said and having a little history on how how you think and how you write who would you say is like your number one inspiration author wise who do you or is it just an amalgamation of just a bunch of people of a certain you know it, it seems it seems to change um i yeah. mean if if i had a default author it's larry mcmurtry yeah um and and i say that because it anybody that that reads um anything but his westerns uh and and i and when i say that i mean horsemen passed by was technically a western but it it, it, the darkness that it had to it but Uh but some of his other writings were so fascinating but he is who introduced me to Walter Benjamin, you know, German philosopher. And from there, you know, because Walter Benjamin focused so much on storytelling and I should have brought, brought his, brought the, that book with me today. Cause I've got so much, I've quoted Walter Benjamin a bunch because of what he emphasizes on storytelling. And it, it you're right. You know, it's, it's such an important part of our culture and in the Western world, the horse world, the cowboy world, storytelling is what you're known for. You know, we have poetry gatherings in the cowboy world just so guys can sit up there and tell stories, not just poetry, but, you know, part of that. It's is, a story with a little rhythm to it. Yeah, you know, and, and so, in the rhyme. but our culture is that. And, and it's funny because when you read some of that, I start to notice, like, just right now, when, when we tell stories, we're telling stories with our hands. You know, our hands are always moving, we're, we're, whatever it is. And, but, so Larry McMurtry is, is probably my biggest um, influence. And, and I think it's just because when I was younger, he was, I, I was so obsessed he with He set reading. you on the path yes. to where you are. And, yeah. and it was just, and he was a Texan, you know, he was from Archer City, you know, it, it you know, a little town of nowhere, you know, and, and he was, he was really hard on the idea that there was no good Texas authors. You know, when I was reading in a narrow grave, you know, he, he was, he kept bringing up this point of, you know, like there's no great authors that ever came out of Texas. And I'm like, Larry McMurtry is, you know, I mean, it's 
part of it's kind of sad because it's everybody just knows Lonesome Dove, you know. But yeah, and that's another that's another perfect scenario of like like a band you like getting known for a song that was never your favorite song, but that's it what wasn't they got even known their for. favorite song. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. just <laughs> it's just what got them to the show, but it was never their the work that they stood behind the most. And I don't know that that's Larry David's or Larry, Larry McMurtry's story, but um, that's a lot of people's gateway to the rest of his writing though, which I yeah. think is a perfect fo- like snapshot of an era that he captured so well. And I don't even know what it is about certain authors. Cause I, I would argue that he's probably in there in, in my sort of wheelhouse as well in, in terms of who, you get sort of inspiration from, but it's like him and it's like Cormac McCarthy. It's like Thomas McGuane. They've got like this dark side, but they're uniquely American. Yeah. And I think that's what I like about it is just because they are American authors. They're not pompous. They're not trying to, they're not trying to talk over your head. They're not using 50 cent words. They, they talk how people speak and they're uniquely American and yeah. it's, it's our literature. It's not some philosopher from a thousand years ago in some far off land. It's yeah. like these are our people that are very well aware of those philosophies. Yeah. But they've simplified them into American language, which I think I enjoy. And that and and you you kind of when you mention the darkness, um, that yeah. brings up uh, John Steinbeck. Yeah. Because my all time favorite book, uh, which which it's really. When, when people ask, they're like, what's your favorite book ever? And I'm always like, East of Eden. Mm. Uh, no, I will not hesitate. That's the my most favorite book I have ever read in my life. And and people are like, why? Why is East of Eden? But the, the, tragedy, the tragedy and the darkness of that book mm. and how it it will play with your mind a little bit. But, but it was the uh, – there's something – you know, when a book grabs your emotions, it, it, it sticks with you. And, and it's funny because, you know, when we're younger and when we're in school, you know, you, you have to read certain books, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, you know, you read, you know, like we read of mice and men, yeah. you know, so that's a everybody Steinbeck. had to read that, but we didn't read East of Eden. Yeah. And when I went through my divorce, one of my best friends, Laura gave me East of Eden and she said, read this. And when I started reading it, I couldn't put it. I mean, I did not put it down. I, I was, I read that book with such like fever, you know, I was, and that was sort of your indicator. Like that's my favorite book because yeah. that was the only book I had that reaction to. Yeah. Is that what, it, and that, and it was, you know, and I was going through a dark time and here I'm reading a dark book, but, but I, but it, it that book, it, it was like, I was discovering John Steinbeck for the first time yeah. when I had actually read Steinbeck, you know, I read yeah. travels with Charlie. I read of mice and men. I read grapes of wrath, you know, cannery row. I had written, I had read everything but East of Eden. It seemed like, but it was like, it was the first time I'd ever discovered who John Steinbeck was. And do you think yeah. that has something to do with, and I think this a lot, like I'll, I'll hear a song and I'll think, Oh shit. Like that's the song. And then you'll send it out, share it. And people just falls flat because does it have a lot to do with like where you're at? I think yeah. it has a lot to do with where you're at mentally yeah. and when it's introduced to you. And then it just gets to such a deeper place yeah. somehow. And that, and that's, I think that that's that it's when those things connect with you. On, yeah. On and a that's all level. uniquely yeah. your experience. And, and you know, it's funny because, uh, the other day, um, 
It, it's funny. I'll, I'll go back to Instagram a lot because I've connected with a lot of people on Instagram that I might not ever meet in, in real life, Which but, is the beauty of the but thing. I, I'm getting so much, um, in it. It's not about followers. It's not about, you know, the high fives you get from Instagram. It's about when you inspire people, uh, which sounds cheesy, but a girl the other day had commented on something I had said about books. And so it inspired her to start reading East of Eden. And yesterday she sent me a message saying that the first three chapters, she cried the mm. entire, and she, had, I, you know, and I think if I remember right, she had read it before, but she was reading it again. But I think it was the same reaction. It was like the first time she had ever read it. And, and so when you hear someone say that they cried and there, and she was like, I'm not a crier. I don't cry. She, but she, she admitted to crying the first three chapters. And I'm like, see there, there is that, that effect that, that other people's words or stories have on people yeah. and it, it either be true or not true or half true. You know, you look at East of Eden and you're like, how much of this is, is, is this about himself, you know, and how much of this is hard to believe is yeah. true, but you know. yeah, but even conjecture or just hyperbole is like, it resonates with, I, I think the reason say that gal cried is because you realize that this human experience is all the same thing. Yeah. And that everybody goes through this and you think you're unique in yeah. the way you think, but then you read something that sort of resonates with the way you thought about a certain topic. And then you're like, Oh, this is what everybody goes through. Yeah, but some people too, they can't express it or conceptualize it. Yeah, but that's why you know, they process it somehow internally. But that, but ha someone else that comes along has the same experience, but is able to put it to words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's powerful. You and know? it's like, it depends on the. Everybody's got their different medium for that coming across too. Mm -hmm. Some people's yeah. reading, some people's movies, some people it's just poetry. You know, music. They, yeah. yeah, music. And that, and it, you know, you bring up like, like how you know, some people internalize and some people can express through words. Um, the other day I was writing some notes down about how people react to something that happened in their life that happened identically to somebody else, mm. you know, like, like for without trying to get too, too deep and dark into to life and death. But like, I can say that, that I've seen, you know, that there's been, two times in my life where I've seen the light, you know, the light, you know, where I was dying. And, and I, I told somebody, I said, you know, when you see the light, it's not, you're, you're not seeing heaven. You're seeing life come back. You're, you're coming back to life. That bright l light that you see hmm. is coming is, out of the darkness. You're coming out back. of that. You're, you're waking up again. And, and I know people that, that react differently to that situation. You know, like I've been knocked out cold by a horse and come to and had this enlightenment where other people have been knocked cold by a horse and come out. Eh, that's no big deal. Or they never get on a horse again in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, so everybody has. We can have identity, you know, just like reading East of Eden, some people be like this book sucks. And somebody said, I cried the first three chapters, you know, so and that's everything in life, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's 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 about and it's. And I think you're born with, with that. You can't always invent 
that in yourself, you know, and, and I know is it people. just how our brains are wired? Yeah. I think, and it's, I think and our brains thing, are so complex and like, how are they all going to be the same? They're just not. No, they're not. But at the same time, I think at any given point in life, one thing that affects somebody one way will also affect somebody that same way. It's just, you'd never know when it's going to happen when you're going to be in that place. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, and it's every and it's every different medium, like I said before. Yeah, who knows if it's even books? You know, and and it's you know I could say yeah, I, you know, I was born with this, with my brain, with the way I think, the way I imagine, but it was the fact that my life allowed me to just have more fuel for that for that inspiration, more seeds, you know quoting yeah yeah we'll, we'll quote we'll quote rick rubin again because you did you did a minute ago uh when you said your antenna you know yeah. it, but but it, yeah that too that was subconsciously yeah but exactly I, I remember reading that yeah, yeah now and that so, i said it and so that i think that but but i also think that that our mindsets also allow us to experience those things and to keep searching for those things like if if my brain wasn't wired to be curious and observant then I would I would have been satisfied with the mundane life, yeah. so to speak, you know. But but also at the same time, it's like I said in my Instagram post, you know, yesterday is the more we notice, the more we live. Yeah, and it's you know, which basically means that you know, the more we see things, the more our lives are enriched. Yeah, and in that in, and whatever whatever your medium is for creating it just becomes that it becomes richer you mm-hmm. know it becomes more uh vivid more vibrant you know and and so i i just feel like you know like right now and it's it's actually funny as i i see a porta potty out there and i'm distracted by that porta potty because i'm like i'm thinking okay where does that fit in with 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 telling a story and then immediately I'm like, okay, I remember a story from a friend of mine in Canada getting knocked over in a porta potty. Uh-huh. And the guys that knocked it over were dumb enough to stay outside of the porta potty when he came out of it. Uh-huh. And he whipped all their asses. <laughs> now, thinking like, if I would have done that, I would have ran away. I wouldn't be sitting there waiting for the guy because mm-hmm. you know he's going to come out fighting mad. Yeah. So just right then and there, a story that I heard 25 years ago. <laughs> I would. I it brought me back just noticing that porta potty. It's almost like so. you you process your physical reality in stories. Yeah, yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, and and that's. Yeah, and and that you know it it, it comes back to, you know, um, I feel like. In and Jay could a, had asked me this, um, when we did a podcast a while back, uh, he was like. He asked me what what was the turning point for you, and I said it, the turning point for me on becoming really comfortable with storytelling was when I actually the 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 night that I met Jake and everybody else that was at that table, I became I was like I'm not I'm not the only one out there yeah you know and and it inspired me so much and and I remember when that. You know, I, I didn't go to bed till almost six o'clock that morning and I got up at seven 30 that morning and drove home from Amarillo. I mean, I couldn't keep my eyes open, but I was so excited that when I finally got on the ranch, I sat on the top of the road, uh, 
on the highest part of the road coming into the ranch and the sun was setting and there was this like it was the sky was on fire but i literally sat there and i wrote a post about that night and and i took a quote from where the wild things are um because that night reminded me of that you know and and i was so excited and and i gave you know I, i wanted to i wanted to not lose that by trying to write and rewrite and rehearse a post to write because it was all still so vivid from that night but it was like man you know i'm i'm comfortable in most settings to a point you know of i can be around horsemen i can be around cowboys i can be around a lot of different groups of people but you know it's that when you realize when you find those people that that think you know that that have a curious or creative mind outside of what you do on a you know because most people say oh there's a west texas cowboy there's a guy who trains horses for a living mm-hmm. but they don't you know and it's minimized they don't see all the layers they don't see the layers well it's yeah. minimized into just like this is the box you put them in yeah, yeah. which you know i'm proud of that side yeah, of for me. sure and it's and it's you know, I don't want to be like, hey, man, there's more to me than that, you know. But, but you don't have to be because if people are interested, they'll figure out yeah. more. And I, I had the same sort of, uh, I mean, I think me and Jake, he comes stayed at the house and we sit up till four in the morning as well. And you came up at probably 3.30 in the morning and he probably didn't even remember that he mentioned it or that I'd even follow through with it. But the next, you know, a couple weeks later, I'm like, I need to get Jerry because he mentioned you and how sort of unique you are and your thinking. Yeah. And, uh. And like I said, I gravitate towards those people. Yeah. Because it, once again, it's it's like you said, it's like you feel comfortable around those people, and you feel like you're not the only one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that and and that's and and because and you know and it and I've explained it before, like I'm known for my Irish goodbyes. Like yeah, me too. It, when I'm kind of done with it with a situation or not situation, but if I'm done in a social setting, man, I'm just. I slip out of there and I'm gone. I do the same and thing. that I was five minutes from leaving that afternoon. Um, I was, I was talking with, with Hayden, uh, Redwine yeah. and Bo Smith. Yeah. And I was, I was done. I'd been up there all day. Um, I was tired and I was like, and I'd gone outside to, to, to get a hackamore out of the trailer to give to a guy. And I was I was just about to step into my truck and just go to the hotel. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to go back inside. And I kind of, so I, I stepped over that threshold of always wanting to just disappear. And and maybe that was like some sort of a omnipotent force. I mean, you can say that, you know, because I, I know when we went back, we, we went to the hospitality room and I'm sitting there and Bo and I were like talking about scream or story ideas. And we're like looking at each other's phones and Jake's sitting across from us and he's got a dusty Vaquero cap on. And it, you know how Jake, he has his cap sitting on top mm-hmm. of his head. And I kept thinking like, who is this guy? He's just listening. You know, he's just sitting there. He's quiet. I didn't know who he was. And later in that evening, you know, we're sitting, we're standing at a table now and we've been socializing, been drinking and, uh, and he introduces himself to me and he had, and I said, and, and so, uh, 
uh, I said something and, and I, I was like, so are you the dusty Vaquero deal on Instagram? And he's like, yeah, that's me. And I'm also the lost cowboy. I right then and there, I was like, wow. I like, I didn't know he actually existed, you know, as a, as a real person. And so I was like starstruck, like, because there was a face to that. Yeah. Had you already read his book before? No, you the book or? wasn't out yet, okay. but I, I had kind of seen a little bit of stuff on Instagram and I had all the dusty Vaquero deal. I watched every video that ever came up on Instagram mm. and cause I was fascinated with that style and the music. But you know, I right then and there, I was like, wow, here's a, here's a guy I could get along with, you know? And so I was, without sounding too cheesy i was starstruck mm -hmm. and i was fascinated and i later that night i was talking to a friend of mine and i was like and so i was explaining to her i was like yeah that's you know that's jake you know that's and she was like who and so when i pulled up the dusty vaquero on instagram she was like wow that's him and i'm like yeah you know and, and but as the night went on you know it was just i i started to it was just one of those moments in time like, okay, I've accomplished this much in life. I've ridden with some of the best polo players and horsemen in the world, but I still hadn't satisfied that, that sort of uh, acknowledgement, so to speak, on what else I was passionate about, and that was writing. And so meeting Jake... And then seeing that he had a genuine interest in what I had to say, I was like, man, now I have a, you know, I, I have a friend in this world, mm -hmm. in this writing world, in this storytelling world or, mm -hmm. you know, something. Yeah, I was going to say, did you get any sort of, um, I guess, direction? on how to even pursue it if you were to pursue but you're you're not yeah. necessarily looking to write a novel yeah you're just looking to like get more of your writing whether it's screenplay or just short story or whatever you out know there. i we we did i'm sure know, he like bulldogged even, that publishing side yeah right? like he like, did that from zero when i uh when when i um when jake came to the ranch it you know i didn't i didn't like um I didn't say, hey, how do you do this? No, how yeah, you, I get that. But you know, I wondered if he offered it up sort of just in like seeing what you had done and being like, hey, you know, this would be a good for this outlet yeah. that I'm familiar with. And, and yeah. not and, necessarily that you'd be milking him for information. You well, and in, in kind of the, I guess, the other side of that, he, he actually was listening to my advice on protecting. Yeah what Which makes you sense. have protecting yeah. what you've created yeah and and that people have whole businesses just in exploiting yeah. yes yeah that. and that's and good advice who don't know yeah. yeah and and so i was i was more concerned i was protective of him and yeah. his work and and i don't know where that side of me comes in but that was comes from probably experience i mean jake's kind of a whippersnapper still you know and you've yeah been around it a while which brings up a whole nother, you know, when we, when, when I talk about, you know, protecting what you create is, is I started writing a movie concept about a famous racehorse trainer, an old guy that I had had breakfast with one time. And 
the the screen or the the movie concept was called we can't all eat french toast because he said that to me one morning when i paid for breakfast uh. he's a multi-millionaire and he made me pay for breakfast and as he left he said we can't all eat french toast and whatever his meaning behind that was you know we can come up with any did idea did anybody eat french toast that day yeah well the place was known for their french toast did you get french toast uh no i actually had uh i had fried i had eggs over easy with ham and toast did he get french toast uh, no he didn't he actually only drank coffee well no no i take that back he um gosh dang it i'm just trying to dissect i'm trying to remember meant. what he had i think he had oatmeal um but but the place was it was the track kitchen in in Aiken, South Carolina. But I remember from that that day, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna write a screenplay about this son of a gun, and it's gonna be a comedy, because I was so mad that, and I, I don't know if he was trying to teach me some sort of lesson. But then I was thinking like, why did he act? Because I I mean the whole that whole day of he, I was when I lived in South Carolina, I lived on South Boundary, which was kind of the famous road up and down through Aiken and I was I used to park my truck and trailer out in front which people hated and one morning I was going to get in my truck and he pulled up in his Mercedes and said get in we're gonna go have breakfast and I had already visited with him before he had this kind of interest in me for some reason and I don't know what it was but uh, we had breakfast that morning at the track kitchen and but from that day on and I remember I told my ex-wife, I was like, we need, I'm writing a, I'm going to write a movie about this guy. And, uh, and, and so I came up with this concept and it was a comedy. It was just this outrageous comedy about this guy. But I told the one screenwriter that I'm writing a movie about him. Well, she went like the next day and met with him and his wife and agreed to write to do a movie on his life story. So they like optioned his life story yeah. bef and ran around yeah. you. And, it, and she probably would. Yeah. And it, not that she was taking my idea, but, but she jumped ahead of me. Still, yeah. That's bullshit. You know, so it was a little bit of one of those things like where you have to, they always say, don't trust anybody in the movie yeah. business. And that's you know? that world. Yeah. And so, and, and so I learned then, you know, to be really careful with who you share that stuff with, yeah. or if you do have the ideas, you better have them registered with the screenwriters guild. You know, to protect them. You Which know, it's so interesting. What a bummer. Just growing up, like in Central Texas and stuff, it's you know information and and talking about stuff. You just talk about it. You just say things. You know. I know, but I think that's where, that's where you, that's why there's so many people that get taken advantage of in these rural communities because mm -hmm. these people come in, they sneak in, they're dressed in all whatever, they look like the normal guy, and they're sitting there just soaking up your stories, and they're yeah. gonna go run off and do something with it. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's yeah. sad. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, and I mean, I, I will say that I, I don't, you know, I listen. And so I'm, I, I'm always paying attention when I hear something that's unique, I'll write it down. And, and, but I'm not, I'm not taking somebody's story. So like, just for an example, when we were in, in Turkey, Texas, we were sitting at the picnic table at all subs that, that afternoon. And we were drinking. We were just, I mean, it was a, it was a, like a picturesque moment of, it was like pure Texas. We were at Bob Will's day and we're sitting on a picnic table drinking beer outside of an all subs gas station. And there's a taco truck right there. And there's a lady from, I think she was from Amsterdam, 
But she was sitting there at the picnic table, so we were visiting with her. And and it was one of those, we had all ordered food from the taco truck. And David Bond ordered a lot of food. And I remember he said, I think I over-ordered. <laughs> and the, the lady from Amsterdam said, well, you never know when the famine will hit. Well, I wrote it down. Yeah. I it yeah, was yeah, it, yeah. those two little segments That's right great. there. I had to write them down and I used them in an Instagram post, you know, and and I and I I commented to David about it, you know, but I was I was it was one of those things like I had to write I was going to lose it if I didn't write it down. So I immediately put it into my phone. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of other things from that weekend that I put into my phone cuz I was like you can't make this stuff up. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're sitting at a picnic table in Turkey, Texas with a lady from Amsterdam and we're drinking beer that we're buying at all subs, you know, and, and it was just and that's where I had made the joke with Scott Slusher that I'm going to write my memoirs at all subs, you know. And, and so in my post uh, yesterday, you know, I, I had commented that I was going to write my memoirs at all subs and somebody had made the comment, you know, that's. That's so tech, you know, basically that's so Texan, you know, all subs, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but it was, so you're always, and I think there's a lot of people that do that, you know, that, that, that take notes from stories that they're hearing or just, just dialogue between two people, you know? Yeah, I take that. That just makes me think it takes someone from a European country to reference a famine the, the famine because we yeah. had one yeah and it was the great depression and it wasn't even a famine it was just like mismanagement and people just, yeah. just got greedy yeah and it takes somebody from europe to, to reference a famine event because yeah. that happened so much over there and they're close to it whereas as americans you don't famine's not even really in your vocabulary we don't even use the word no famine. it's not even your vocabulary yeah it, it, we don't. yeah yeah, yeah. It, and so yeah. that that moment right there you couldn't have you couldn't have created a a better scene than that scene right there, you know? And, and it was really kind of cool because as we're sitting there, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of this, it's right there on, on the, the main, that, that road that runs North and South through Turkey. And as we're sitting there, a four sixes rig pulls into all subs to get diesel and it's Kai Houston and his wife, uh, Whitney. And, um, they, and so, you know, here comes, you know, a legendary truck and trailer pulling in. Kai gets out, says hi to Scott and everybody. They all say hello, and then they go on their way. You know, and it was just it was just one of those days that, you know, we could have been watching the fiddle contest. We could have been watching, you know, uh, Texas swing bands play. But, no, we're just sitting there at the all-sups. But there couldn't have, you couldn't have bought a ticket to a better event than than yeah. we had created. I mean, right think now. of those characters that, that yeah. you just talked about. You know, and it was it was good. You know, we had Scott Slusher there, David Bond, uh, Matt Tom Thomason, um, the artist, the artist yeah. Tomlin. He, Tomlinson. Is it Tomlinson or Thomason? There's L in there. Yeah. Yeah. And who's an? I mean, that guy is he. He's got one of the best souls I've ever seen in a person, and he's an amazing, amazing artist. I think he's and, here. And he yeah. said, yeah, I think so. But he said, he would just say these little quick things like you wouldn't expect him to say. And he was so clever and quick. And, and I think I wrote down something that he said, but he was sitting there with us. And then, uh, Tyler Terry and, and Megan, uh, his girlfriend, they were sitting there with us too. And so it was just this, you know, I think about like the conversations we had, 
and then we had this lady from Amsterdam sitting there, you know, with us, you know, and then we're watching all these different vehicles go by. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those things that quintessential crossroads of Texas. Yeah. You couldn't have planned it better, but it happened organically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're talking about some of the best creatives in Texas right now. Yeah. Sitting at a Well, and that that's in this, in the Western world. And that, and that's, that was one of the things too, that like, I was like, man, I'm sitting here with three of the coolest creative minds i like to me they're they're like when i met matt i was like holy crap i'm meeting this guy you know and and then i'm you know i went to we watched the first part of the fiddle contest i was with matt and his wife you know and i'm like i'm sitting with i mean these are incredible people and then we're sitting there eating tacos and drinking beer and i've got david scott and matt sitting right there and i'm like man i this is this is I would have loved to have been there. Yeah, and and so that was and you know that was just a, an incredible time yeah. like like maybe you know hopefully they would think that too but maybe they don't where I'm like man this that was one of the best days of my life. The, the reason that it that it felt that way is because everybody feels that way about each other. I agree. The, the, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. That's that's an awesome way to, yeah. to put it. Otherwise so, you wouldn't be there. Yeah. That's very true. And and I felt like I I was already like, I can't wait to come back next year. Yeah. You know, because it was just one of those those weekends where I felt like, man, I belong here, you know, and, and, and everybody there was and it was one of those things like people were like, You're doing what? You're going to Turkey, Texas? What? You know, but it it was like one of those things that was meant to happen. You know, and everybody I was around, like like at Hotel Turkey, you know, everybody there, it was like an artist scene, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like with Brennan, you know, painting the mural of Quanta Parker mm-hmm. on the outside of, of the hotel. You know, it was just this, like, you know, and, and, and I guess I felt cool because I was like, man, you guys are artists. You know, y'all, y'all are incredible artists. And they're like, you're an artist too. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not like you guys. And they're like, no, you're an artist. We're not like you, you know, and and artists don't really, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to accept. Yeah. And, and that, yes. And that, and, and I've, I've heard that and been told that, you know, before. Yeah. I I used to kind of reject it with the bike work and stuff. Yeah. And I think I've kind of finally come around to be like, yeah, "Yeah, you know, it is, it is like artwork. You just, you know, and everybody always says, just say thank you. You know, and right. I'm like, I'm yeah. like, man, but you know, it, it, but, but I don't, you know, I, I'm just, you know, it, I don't know. It, it's mind blowing to me that, that I was, I was included in that circle. You know, I felt like, man, I'm one of these guys, you know, like those people over there wonder if they're like, man, look, it's, you know, it's, it's Scott and David and Jerry and, you know, they're, yeah. they're hanging out together. You know, it was like, it's like one of those things, like you visualized, the lost generation when they were writing in Paris, you know, like what did the public think when they saw, you know, Hemingway and, you know, or, or, you know, F Scott Fitzgerald, you know, when they were writing, you know, like did the public be like, Hey, look, it's those guys, those guys, you know, that write, you know, or paint or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so it was like just being there, it was kind of like, I felt like, man, we're, we're the cool guys, you know, and here I'm getting to hang out with them, you know, no, definitely are, man. I mean, yeah. this is, this is, these this group of guys and folks that you're talking about i mean they're 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 gonna leave behind a lot of stuff you know and i was just thinking 
Jerry, because I have a similar story. Like I said, interested in a lot of things, devoted to not anything. Your mom or your dad, more specifically, pointing you and saying, hey, I'm older from an outside perspective. This is what you're made to do. I can see it from here. It's horses. And then now with horses, you've rolled that into writing and, and then your general interests that are sort of underlying and, and what a gift that is, right? To come from a horse perspective, to be able to do these other things, that's what the world needs more of is people that have other interests that do these other things with a point of view. What do you think you'd have been doing if it wasn't for your dad saying that? Do you think you would have gone into sort of the writing machine? Mm. That's hard to answer because when dad told me that I was 18 years old Yeah, and I was still really insecure with, with my, like back then I thought you could only be good at one thing and that thing that you're good at is the only thing that you will but ever do. But that was also do. that world that you were in at the time. That was the world up until yeah. now. Yeah. And, and so it. The, the thing is, is I had no clue what I was going to do other than that. Like I had no plan. I didn't want to go to school. I had n no interest in going to college. And, and, you know, and maybe if I had gone to college, then I would have focused on the writing, you know, because I would have said, okay, now I'm in a, an environment of learning and education this is where I will focus yeah, is but on that would have been disservice. Yeah. And I think it would have ruined that because I, I feel like it just homogenizes people. Exactly. And, and so the, it's hard to answer that because, you know, I think about, you know, I had been storytelling or writing either on paper or in my head from when I was 12 years old. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've told the story about, you know, the first short story I ever wrote, I was in eighth grade and it made my teacher cry mm. and she kept it really. And she entered it in two, two or three writing contests. And I ended up getting an honorable mention. What was the subject <laughs> about a boy that falls in love with a girl? And it was, it was basically, you know, they are in, and I, on the Instagram post, it was, you know, write about what, you know, yeah. and I was writing about something I knew nothing about. And that was girls. <laughs> and I wrote, and the, the funny thing though, is it was a, I had written it about myself being in love with a girl who was actually in the class. Yeah. And but oh, she didn't know that. Her Nobody... name was Natalie Reynolds and and I didn't mention her in Instagram, but I'll it's probably safe here on the podcast. Yeah. But, but I remember when I wrote it, she made me read it in front of the class. Oh no. But in front of the girl that you wrote it about. Uh, and I was and I never, you know, I, I didn't mention her by name in the story. But she knew. But it was but the she girl knew. that she, Oh, she did know. Oh, she she, oh, was, okay. she knew, you know, and I was just like, "Do you keep looking at her while you're reading it?" Oh, and I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I bet you and, couldn't look, yeah. And I was deathly shy anyway. I was a horribly shy kid. And and I remember when I got done reading it, the teacher was in tears. And wow. I'm like, "Man, it, you know, and so I obviously, you know, made my teacher feel emotion from it. And then, you know, she kept it and then she, she put it in writing contest and I never got the story back. She kept it. Like if I really? had it today, I would probably be horribly embarrassed if I read it. Yeah. But it, it was made good an enough. adult cry. It just rung a bell with her. It's probably yeah. some sort of similar. And that's also something and so a, I, a lot I of did, adults can't do to other adults. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> Your job as a writer is to make people feel. Yes. Well, I succeeded in the first short story I ever wrote. Yeah. Yeah. So I was ruined after that. And I didn't. And I used to write 
like in English class, I would just write stuff down. Like I would write these stories. And I remember at one time I was 14 or 15 and I was writing this story about a guy named Kevin. And I remember going home and asking my mom if I could change my name to Kevin. And she was like, what? <laughs> but I was so like hooked on that character in that story yeah. that I was going to change my name to Kevin, wow. you know, and, and, and it was just like Shia LaBeouf, you know, so, yeah, it, you know, it's like, yeah, that's dedication, you know, it, it, and so it, it's like a, so I, you know, I, you know, you I just, remember you those. Feel, yeah. You feel a lot. Yeah. I, yeah. It's yeah. nothing. Nature and nurture. It is you. It is yeah. just how you were cooked. Yeah. And, and so it, but, but the, the thing that, that I, I always go back to is I wouldn't, I don't think I would have as much feeling or passion about any of this if I hadn't had my life with horses because that allowed me to travel. It allowed me to meet people from all over the world. The polo world is global and it's massively global. Um, you know, and so I was meeting people from all over the world. I was living in different places. I was getting to see so many different things and none of that, none of what I've experienced on the level of getting to write or create. I don't think I would, I mean, like I no, said, it would be so like, stale. It would mm -hmm. be so forced. Well, that's like, I mean, I always use the metaphor like, I prefer somebody that can't sing because I know they got something to say. Because if they're going to get past the idea that they can't sing, like traditionally sing, then they probably have something to say and it's probably going to be good. And that's like yeah. the same with you. If you weren't out there in the world living it, you would never have anything to write about. If yeah. you look like a writer, I probably don't want to hear what you got to say. Yeah, but exactly. if you look like you and you write something, I'm, gonna read I'm it. interested. Yeah. And and that that means a lot. Um, and that that goes that really goes to the idea of being authentic to who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, and that's, that has a lot to do with it. And, and I've, I've written before and spoke before about how exhausting it is to pretend or to work so hard to be somebody that you're not, mm. or to try to replicate somebody that you want to be. Yeah. And, and I've seen that before. And, and it's like when I had made, I, I wrote one time about an experience I had when I first got into the polo world is we were in, in uh, Aspen, Colorado, eating lunch one day. It was actually 4th of July. I remember it was 4th of July and we were all sitting around this table eating. And I don't, I, I don't remember the restaurant, but it was, it was a restaurant in Aspen. And, and I, I don't, I won't say their names, but they were like, we want you to be the next so-and-so. And I said, I don't want to be the next so-and-so. The next anything. I want to be the first Jerry yeah. Gazelle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, The table went silent. But from that day on, they felt that I had this contempt against, against their machine. But it's what they do. Yeah. All they do is appropriate... Yeah things they see out in the real world and say, how can I make a dollar off of this? Yeah. Those people are bullshit. Yeah. And they wouldn't exist in any other environment. Yeah. And that's the thing that gets me the most fired up between that commerce and the art. Like we talked about before. Yeah. And that, and, and I, I was, I was 
probably slightly being cocky about it, but I was also, I guess, so self-aware at that time of, you know, I'm, I'm somebody, I'm me and I'm going to be whatever I am going to be. It's, it's going to be, they just, in their terminology and their language, they always have to distill everything down to something the world has already seen. They have to simplify it to this in order to sell it to people that Another non-creative person that doesn't know what the fuck they're yeah, talking about. Yeah, there can't about. be anything new. Yeah. yeah. He's that, a version yeah. of this yeah. and this if they had a baby. And you're like, why has it got to be something that you've already seen? How about before How you saw that thing, what was the example that got you to that thing? Yeah, like, yeah. it's just, I get it because it, it has to turn over money at the end of the day. But, like, that machine can be, I think, dismantled. And I think social media has a lot to do with that and, and how you use it especially. Yeah. And that, and, and so I've I've tried to... <clears throat> I've tried to, you know, figure out how to, you know, gently suggest people just be true to who you are. Not that you have to expose, but it becomes all your almost layers. like, yeah, and it almost becomes a cliche, and it just hits the surface and it bounces off. Whereas, like, if you really think about that phrase, then it there's no way it doesn't take root. Yeah, if you really, that's the funny thing about sort of discovery. And the older you get, you've heard so many cliches your whole life, and you always just let them bounce off. But then, if you actually take them in most of them are that way for a reason, right? Like everybody comes to that realization at some point. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and and so, and, but at the same time, you know, when I say, you know, I want to be the first Jerry Gazelle, there's still, yeah, like it, it's easy to just accept who you are and be the best version of who you are without sounding like a self-help guru, Mm -hmm. but it's still not easy. You know, you still, I mean, it's so simple, but yet when you take it on as a sort of philosophy or as like a, something you want to accomplish, it get, it can get as deep as you want it to, but it's such a cliche thing that it bounces off of most people's. Riding a horse seems easy too. just jump on it. Everything works out. No, it doesn't. There's so much nuances and small things and things you discover about yourself and other people or that animal or whatever you just unpack 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 you know and that and that's you know and i've i've talked about different horsemen you know and i'm like i it's hard for me to you know i i can't and it's probably just who i am but i can't explain to you how i do something with a horse just like i can't explain to you how I come up with something that I write yeah. or how I can sit down and write. But mm-hmm. nor should you. Why, it, why, why would you? You know, and that's just, you know, and, and, and I've kind of mentioned that before is like, I'm not a how-to guy. I'm not that guy that's going to say, that's going to make, oh, this is how to do this or this is how to do but that. But nobody great is. I, I, the I people think that the, can't do are the ones that teach how to do. Exactly. The, I yeah. think the more cr- creative you are, the less how-to you are. The less you have to explain yeah. your process. Yeah. And, and that's where but I... But you I, have to kind of get over that hump of being like, oh, this guy's a creative genius. And then you can shit in a cup and they'll buy it. Yeah. But if it's like, if you're working away to that, you have to have so much confidence in yourself to get to that point. Yeah. But once that tipping point happens, I think yeah, it, and that's you a, can do that, no wrong. Yeah, and that's kind of that's kind of a struggle in itself. But you know, it's I've I've mentioned before, like I'm not a guy that reads how to do it books. I'm the guy that reads how they did it books. Mm. You know, the history of it, yeah. not the modern you know step by step process of everything you do. Which is not a which is not a sort of blueprint to anything good. Yeah, it's a blueprint of something watered down because you're just taking ingredients and putting you're adding your own here and there and then coming out with the same thing. Whereas yeah. like, I guess if you study the process versus 
the ingredients. Yeah. Well, your own it, is gonna your own voice is gonna shine through. It's one of those things like where I where you know, you always see everybody says trust the process. And yeah. I'm like, man, I can't trust my process because my process is never consistent. You yeah, know, it's it, different it's, every time. But that's your your process is that there's not much of a process. Yeah, that and that's the whole cliche is like, oh, my process is not a process. You know, but it is it's one of those like, man, if I trusted the process, I'd probably fall off a cliff somewhere because I would be blindly trusting something that that is straight as an arrow versus I'd rather not trust the process because I don't want a process to trust. I agree with that. I I want it to be a little more random anarchistic. Yeah. You know, free and and random as it can be, because then it's true to what whatever it is I'm doing. But at the same time. That's a process. It's a process. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, like every, semantics. So I, you know, like on, t- like on TikTok, everybody's like, well, what is your step-by-step process for training horses? And I'm like, it, this horse might be this way. This horse might be this way. I might go from a snaffle bit to a shank snaffle. Yeah, that's I a might go from case. a hackamore to a, you know, to a full bridle. It, there's never, I don't. And that's, and I, one of my biggest pet peeves is the, how to train your horse step by step process. How to in general just gives me the creep. Just how yes. to yeah. insert. How to manual on on everything. And that's yeah. you know, and that's the the you know, the the whole life thing, you know, is like, you know, you graduate, go to college, get married, have kids, yeah, do your nine to five. And yeah. and that works great for a lot of people. I mean, most of the population Well it works it works great for a lot of people that don't that that are just trying to get by. Yes. It does. Yeah. Well, and hot teas are a great way, though, too, to just get moving and get started. Yeah. And then once you're in the process, you can think a little bit on your own. No, you're absolutely you know, but right. sometimes you just need a how-to just to to just have the confidence to get yeah. your foot in the door at yeah. all. Yeah. You know, I mean, I learned how to play drums. I was like a kid pulling pots and pans out, you know, and uh, I taught myself how to play drums from a DVD, how like drumming basics. It was yeah. a DVD. I wore that thing out. I don't think I ever made it to the end of it. Yeah, I only yeah, watched yeah. the first three, and then I started going on my own. But yeah. I needed that. That spark. How do I play drums? Yeah. Yeah. I'm at Guitar Center. I'm buying this because yeah. I don't know how. Yeah. And I, ne- I don't think I ever finished that DVD. The thing that always I got did. me with anything is that the more you learn about it, the more you realize that there's no rules to this, and anybody mm-hmm. can do whatever they want. Yeah. Anything. It doesn't matter. Well, because well, the people that, that rise to the top are the ones that can create the rules. That's the thing. It's they're like, the ones that – Yeah. yeah it's like – yeah. They're not necessarily creating the rules, but however they did it becomes the rule without even their knowledge. Right, right, yes. Yeah. And yeah. or, yeah. That, yeah. It, it makes me think about when my brother was learning to play guitar, I was, you know, he was, gosh, this has been, this would have been in the early 90s. And he was, you know, learning to play guitar. And I thought, man, I want to try to learn to play guitar. And we were actually living in Banner. Uh, so we were just kind of on the other side of the ranch from, in Bighorn, but we were mm-hmm. living in Banner. And there was this old guy up in Story that played guitar. He was this old, I mean, I I couldn't tell you how old the guy was, but he was just one of those, like, old pickers, you know, just a really cool old guy. And so my brother was, you know, learning the how to play guitar process. And I went and bought a guitar and thought, well, we'll both learn. And we went up to Story one day to, to, get some lessons from that guy and I hadn't looked at a how-to book or watched a how-to video and my brother had and we go up there and and he starts kind of helping us with the guitar well the next thing you know I'm I'm just watching him play that play his guitar and showing my brother what to do 
Well, I was, I was kind of replaying a Robert Earl Keen song in my head, and it was just a, a an intro with the guitar, and um, it was dreadful, selfish crime. In mm. that easy, there was kind of just that easy guitar pick, and I started as I was listening to him play his guitar, I started kind of just picking on those strings a little bit. And I, you know, I knew nothing about guitars. I couldn't tell you one string from the other one chord, but you could mimic the energy or something. But I, I felt, I, I was like, okay, that sounds that, that sound is that if I do this, if I do that next thing, you know, I'm playing that, that, that familiar sound from dreadful selfish crime. And right then and there, I quit. Never Why? Picked, pick, never picked it up again. I bet you have because no the inclination. no, because I looked over at my brother and I saw this defeat of something he wanted to learn and before you were, I wanted to learn it. Yeah. And I knew right then and there that if I continued to teach myself to play guitar, it would destroy his interest interest in playing the guitar. So yeah. does your brother play guitar now? Yeah. He does. Not good, but he still we'll But he take- still play he still plays his guitar. And and it Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but if I had continued to do that, would he still be trying to play guitar today? Yeah. But it was one of those things I didn't have, I wasn't. But I feel like you're the one that's geared towards it, whereas he's not. And we can, naturally. we can go off. Dude, he was the, he was the bull rider, saddle bronc rider, and you weren't, so yeah. screw it, man. So you, say, you be yeah. the guitar yeah. player. Exactly. You get the sensitive chicks, <laughs> you know, he gets but, the roughy chicks. This, yeah. That's it, the way it's know, supposed to go. And so it, it was one of those things like. Like, but, but I felt so like, okay, I don't, I don't have a passion for the guitar. Yeah. And you're I like, just thought I just it was going to be let this go, but I do have a natural yeah. inclination. Yeah, I have but, a natural and ear I thought, for man, it. What if I played guitar today? You know, see, I did that same thing, but I just, I just steamrolled my brother all the time. Yeah. Like if he's interested in something, I'd be like, oh yeah, well I'm going to be a hundred percent better at it. Yeah. And that was, <laughs> and I did not care. You know, and, and, the Darlins, and it, yeah. they used to throw bricks at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, but, but it was one of those things like, yeah, I could do this, you know, but where's, what is the good in it for me to do it? Like I wasn't going to ever be a guitar player that wanted to write music. I, it was just, but you don't know that. Yeah, that's true. Because you're writing, and yeah. that's the same shit. Yeah, that's true. It's the same thing. You know, but my true passion was the accordion. Now, if mm. I would have learned to play the accordion, I'd be playing that son of a gun today and like in, nobody's And you'd business. be in high demand. Yeah, because I was always fascinated There's with the accordion. But everybody always said, man, that's like the worst instrument to learn to play is the accordion, you know. But but it was... I disagree. I think... Yeah. I, I find it calming. I like it. Well, oh, I hard, love... Probably really hard to learn. Yeah, I, I love the accordion. I mean, it's one of those things like... I mean, we grew up in South Texas, you know. It was, yeah. You know, you, you heard Tejano everywhere you mm-hmm. went. So I would figure yeah. drums would be the hardest thing to give to your kid. Your situation. Just because the learning process would be such a pissing in your ear all the time. Like, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, your oh, mom yeah. would be like, oh, my God. Yeah, no, miserable. If you're not going to be good at this, miserable. you should just please quit. That, that I, I think that is the one reason that um electric drum sets are still made to this day that's the only thing it's not loud keeping electric <laughs> the only thing that's keeping the electric drum business in business is terrible drumming <laughs> yeah because yeah. it keeps everyone from having to hear it that's it <laughs> yeah <laughs> if it wasn't for that it would be, be gone dead and gone yeah, yeah. oh shit <laughs> well yeah. should we wrap this up it's been like 
two and a half hours. Yeah, man. yeah, we can. I, I just wanted to say, too, that y- y- there's this really interesting duality about you because you are a person that that thinks and feels deeply and also at the same time you're cowboy yeah. which which requires an amount of not thinking too much not feeling too much just gritting your teeth and fucking doing it yeah and rolling through it so there's not many humans like you out there and i think that you've done all this you know you've lived this whole life and you've learned so much and i think now maybe you're coming into this part where you, you have something the other to say yeah you have yeah. something to give you like know you say, that's and perfect exa- like the duality the juxtaposition the the idea that 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 yin and yang and you're coming into your yang phase mm-hmm. yeah and that's and uh, yes and and i i'm glad you you mentioned that because i i feel like we all know that struggle of in in the cowboy world of you don't share your feelings you don't express your troubles you know you you don't you just don't you have to give that image of being hard yep. you know and 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 I one of my closest friends I saw him at his lowest point um in his life and I realized it was because he wouldn't he wouldn't he was not in touch with his feelings and it was it was one of those he had to give off that 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 look of hardened you know cowboy and it 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 wrecked him you know and it it but it made me realize that if 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 guys if anybody it doesn't it doesn't matter who it is if if they think that if they're so ingrained of not sharing their feelings it will destroy them mm-hmm. and if i if it even if they don't all do it they need to know that you know that that there's a voice that you can that you can listen to you know or you know even if you're going to keep struggling with it if you get inspiration from what other people express you know that eventually you'll find that peace and you'll let it out you know i i I just it's so hard you know i was that way i mean and, and to this day people think that i'm just some really intimidating mean asshole mm. you know there's a lot of people that think that's my my persona you know that i'm just this this you know hardened guy that doesn't put up with anything yeah. and i don't i don't put up with a lot you, you know, just I, have the look yeah and that's what people see mm-hmm. you know but but i'm finding that the more i do exactly what we're doing right here the the more comfortable i am doing it and it's also leaving its mark on other people 100%. and that to me is it's worth more than than anything is if if it helps anybody if it influences i hate the word influence because of what it's used for today yeah but if it does empower people to 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 do something to act on whatever it is they're struggling with or whatever it is they want to do then i'm i'm going to get better at it because it's empowered whatever i do to empower others it comes back on me tenfold. It empowers me more. Absolutely. And, and, and so it, that's, I'm finding that magic with what we're doing. I mean, if I wasn't doing it, if I wasn't trusting myself when I started 
this new journey, I wouldn't be sitting here with y'all today. So, mm-hmm. you know, that means a lot with what you said, you know, and the duality is hard because there's, there's plenty, especially in the cowboy world, you know, and I see it's, it's getting better, you know, where people, you know, have, you know, cowboys can listen to punk rock music, but then turn around and listen to Gail Steiger, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they not be shamed about it. Though, yes, too. exactly. Yeah, or feel like you only have to, and I've had this conversation with Luke too, just specifically about music. Cause we have a lot of same musical taste, but like, I don't want to let everybody know. Yeah. Like this one, let's do, but he's like, why would you give a shit? Yeah. You know? And, and th- there is that, that part of that to where it's like coming into yourself fully to where it's like, yeah, you can be that guy. That's tough. That's hard. But also you should just be tough and hard enough to be able to like whatever you like and do yeah. whatever you want to do unapologetically. Cause I guess and that's like the next level, but not even next level, but because the guys that are looking to you to be tough are the same guys that like you when you are just your own thing. And, and yeah, you get to and, the same, you get to the same result regardless yep. of which road you take. And yeah. that's, you know, and, and, and it, it's like you say, you can, you can be passionate about a million things and not be dedicated fully to any of them. But I've also, it's like I told a guy the other day, I said, you know, I'm not the best horse trainer in the world. I have to be good at other things because though if I'm good at one thing, it's going to allow me to keep doing something else. I am not that guy that can be the best at one thing. So I have to be really, really good or really, really passionate about several things. And it's either training horses, building leggings or collecting books and writing you know, and, and so I have to, I have to be committed in a sense to, to those things. And I know there's guys out there. I, I, you know, I, I know, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of the guys that are like, man, that guy's a moron. You know, he's out here showing horses and then he's going and he's writing these silly stories. Like who, who the hell is this guy? You know? And I know, I know there's those guys out there. I don't care. You know, that's, you know, my thing is like, okay, well, I know you can't write a complete sentence. Yeah. You can train the hell out of a horse and you're you a hell of a cowboy, a but you can't, you can't write a thank you card to somebody because you can't write or you can't think enough to write, you know? And, but I don't, I don't get, I used to have that chip on my shoulder and that is gone away big time. Like I don't care anymore what you think. Yeah, you're a phenomenal horse trainer. I I would love to be able to do what you do with horses. But I know you don't wish you could write what I can, you know, you what you can do, you know, you you don't wish you can do what I can do. I'm fine with that. That's okay. You know, and whereas before I used to think, yeah, I bet that guy wishes he could write stories like I do. Well, horse shit, that was just my chip, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your own projection on yeah. them where it's like but you got to realize that that's that's what gives you value, not what the gives them value, and who gives a shit. Yeah. yeah, and that's you know, and I don't care if I win a horse show or not. I don't care if I win a buckle or if I beat that guy. The day I do is icing on the cake, but that's not the end all be all, you know. And and that's you know that's I'm okay with that, even though I know that guy was like, yeah, you know, like he didn't. Of course, he wasn't gonna win today, you know. And I know that that attitude is there. But I yeah. don't let that attitude affect me anymore where it used to. Yeah. You know, that and I think that's so damaging that, that chip on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I you know. I don't think that comes with anything other than age. Yeah. 
Well, you got to get older to get out absolutely. of that. And there's some people that are just naturally that confident, but I, I think some people never get out of it and some people find it with age and some people just have it. Yeah. And it's one of those three. Absolutely. And that's, I think you can't rush that. No, you no. Know, and, and not and, if you're not feeling it now. Yeah. It, it will either come because you have to do a lot of work. You got to do a lot of inward thought yeah. or it is, it's just never going to change. Yeah. And that's, it, and I, I get, I'll end it on this is, is that when I was young, my grandpa, my grandpa told me he was like, you have an old soul. He's, he said, he, he said to, to embrace your old soul and your age will catch up. I got told the same thing, you know, and, and that was, and I remember it cause uh, that day was hard on me because I went to his house to borrow money from him because I had no money. And he told me, he's like, I don't have the money to lend you. But at the end of our conversation, it was, you have an old soul and to embrace it. And then he was like, your age will catch up. And, and there was a lot of meaning that took me a long time to realize what he meant by your age will catch up, you know, and, and it was maturing, you know? Yeah. And at so. the eight, when you were young and you spoke and talked like this, I almost, I liked that almost better because it was like, it made you very unique. It made you very much like, especially older people who, who you would just always sort of engage in conversation. It made, it made it relatable. I don't know. I've always preferred to hang out with older people than younger. And oh, that, that yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot, to, a lot of times when you grow up, out nowhere you have no other choice yeah you know yeah yeah well shoot jerry thanks for coming on yeah, it's buddy. been awesome it's been great i'm yeah. excited about this yeah yeah you're 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 just uh like, oh how can do the how can we find you look yeah, you what, up what's your instagram handle and your tiktok and all that it's just jerry gazelle um i make it easy to find i don't have any kind of weird Jerry with, the, Jerry with, with the a G. G, yeah, G E R R Y G E S E L L, and that's just um, Instagram and TikTok, both of them. And, and like I said before, they're they're both two completely different platforms, and they're different on both. You know, I try to keep it interesting. I so. want to get a TikTok just to see your horse training videos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I never they, seen, it, I never stepped foot in there before. Yeah, oh, it, that that's a that TikTok is something else. If yeah, I always joked about if you got you know five hours to waste in a day just get on tiktok yeah, <laughs> just scroll yeah. through every video because mm. you'll but but there is it, it's been it's been enlightening for sure but but i've i like i said it it and it's hard because you try to help the best you can with your videos but you can't ever you know you can only go so far with and that's like when i got here today i was on the phone with a guy that that was needing help with a horse and it was it was, you know, because he's seen some of my videos on TikTok, and so I was trying to help him. I, really? And I, he just called you up and was like, I'm having this he, He's like, up. before I, you know, he's like, I need help. Before I do this and screw this horse up, what would you do in this situation? And I was on the phone with him for 45 minutes, you know, trying to. And just even that, not having that knowledge is night and day from 10 years ago. Yeah. He just screwed that bitch up three times over. Oh, yeah, because there, and, and there wouldn't have been, there wouldn't have been that source. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so that, that it made me feel good. And hopefully, and I told him, I said, let me know, you know, which I'm not afraid. I'll, I'll give the time if I have the time. And I told him, I said, let me know how it goes when you, when you do this, you know, but you also have to be careful with, you know, 
if that horse breaks its leg, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, he's like, well, you told me to do this. And my horse died. You know? <laughs> well, I wasn't there. Yeah. And so you have to, you know, you try, you pick and ch- so on that note, you have to be case by you, case, case by case. And, and you say what you need. If that person isn't capable of certain things, you don't tell them those yeah. things. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah. So TikTok and Instagram, you know, that's, that's how you can, you can find me. Um, make it pretty easy to find yeah so. and they can see your imp- really impressive tack room on yeah. instagram yeah 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 my tack room i'm pretty proud of that thing i so. would be proud of that yeah. i'm proud of that for you yeah <laughs> i'm not even in the tack and i'm I, like god damn this is impressive as fuck. Uh-huh. yeah that's people joke you know i always tell they're always like hey can we come photograph your your tack room and i'm like yeah sure do i do you, do I need to be there or do you just want to take pictures of my tack room? Yeah, you know? yeah. They don't care about me or the horses. They, they want to have some, yeah. some half nude girl in front of your bits. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We can make this interesting now. <laughs> yeah. So I'm always, I, people are always like wanting to come photograph the bridles, but that's it. You know, that's like, okay, thanks. And then yeah. they leave, you know, so, well, but hey, a lot of the boys going to cap. Yes, sir. Well, thanks, Jerry. Yeah. It's been Thank great. Thanks yeah, I for appreciate coming. it. This all worked out really well. I'm, I was really excited just to get here, and now I'm really excited after getting to hang out with y'all. So, as are we. It's mutual. Yeah, super yes, pumped. Sir. So definitely. But yeah, thank y'all.